Hi, my name is Jamie Lynch, and you are listening to Eating Habits, my podcast about everything restaurants. I will explore the human element of the hospitality business, and I'll talk to the who's who in restaurants, explore their stories, and hear what's on their minds in the ever-changing landscape of the food and beverage industry. What up, what up? This is Chef Greg Collier of Bayhaven Restaurant Group, Bayhaven Food and Wine Festival, and Leah and Louise. Super excited to be here, and you are listening to Eating Habits. Hello, listeners. This week's episode is dedicated to Chef Greg Collier's late sister and grandmother, Leah and Louise, two of the women that were so influential to him and the namesakes for his Charlotte restaurant. Chef Greg and I had a really easygoing conversation, and I hope you all enjoy. What's up, Greg? What's up, man? How are you? I'm great. I'm glad to finally have you in the seat. Yeah, yeah. We've it's been, been trying to get it's together. Been it's been a minute. Yeah. We've been working. Yeah. Busy. Yeah. Yeah. What you been up to? You got a lot going on. Yep. So why, right. don't you, why, don't you, so why don't you set the scene of where the, you're at right now? The thing that's going on is Sabrina and I, who's my wife and business partner, and for real, for real, the founder of the Bayhead Food and Wine Festival. I just was alone for the ride, but uh, <laughs> we are expecting our first baby, a girl, Salia Monique Collier, in June of this year. Hell yeah. Crazy. Congratulations, Thank dude. You. I'm Thank super. So we we Thank touched you. on it shortly before we yeah. started recording, but man, I am I can see the glow and like the proud glow going on. Yeah, man. Like it's I've when we first opened the restaurant, Sabrina is wiser than me. I was like, yeah, let's have a baby. She was like, well, not now, right? Yeah, I was yeah. like, no, let's have a baby. Yeah, you want to get started? She was like 26. She was like, yeah, I still was, you know, 26. I was in my prime. Like, I need to be out here looking good and doing my thing. And I, she just, I don't think she was, uh, she just wasn't ready for it. And we, a lot of people, no, no, we went through the fertility process. So we had to do some different things and it worked out. I don't think it could be more perfect yeah. um, from my perspective. We are opening uh, Uptown Yoke back up in July this year. So it's kind of like people are like, bro, you got a baby coming and you're opening Uptown Yoke and we got the four concepts coming in Camp North End. Four concepts. Four concepts. Uh, we're going to dig on that a little bit, right? <laughs> but people was like, yo, like, what are you doing? It's like, man, if I want to be at home, I don't think there's much more as a chef that I can do in the kitchen, in the restaurant. So now it's kind of like, I can do, I can still do things. I think I can use my voice for change, but I can't, most of the things that I'm gonna be doing that are gonna, you know, help improve Charlotte's food scene and help keep us where we are, like where we, a lot of us work to get, I'm not gonna be in the kitchen doing that. There's a, I can come up with a new dish every other second, but what is that really doing? Yeah, man, we got a lot of stuff coming, man. I'm super excited about 2022. It's gonna That's be That's exciting, year. man. It's I'm be super stoked for yeah, you. Yeah, bro. I yeah, feel bro. like I feel like this has been a long time coming for you. Like you've yeah. you've been grinding since the yoke. Yep, 2012. You guys moved to Charlotte yep. in 2012. Yep. From whether well, you were in Phoenix, so you we moved were, from we Phoenix. We were in Phoenix, you... and we moved to Charleston to be able to live close enough to drive back and forth to find jobs. Right. And when we went, I was in Arizona, and in Arizona, well, like in every city, right? There's kind of a a chef lineage, and I knew that one, I don't necessarily, I wasn't necessarily going to do what was needed of me to get into that club. And also, I just knew I had something to say. And looking back on it now, it wasn't realistic for somebody to say, hey, you've been a line cook, come run my 
three-star, four-star restaurant. It right. makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, that's but for me, I was like, yo, I need, I got something to say. And I was even willing to take lesser jobs making, you know, at the time, $10 an hour. I was like, listen, I'll take this job and run your kitchen for $10 an hour because I have something to say. So we moved to Charlotte. Sabrina, Sabrina felt like we were looking at a list. And at the time, Charlotte was number one for economic mobility for African-Americans. So it was like, bet, let's move to Charlotte. It's close enough to Raleigh. It's close enough to Charleston. My parents are in Memphis. It's 10 hours to drive from Memphis versus 24 from Phoenix. My mom does not fly. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, we picked Charlotte and we moved to Charlotte, found a whole normal place in Rock Hill, and that's where we opened the yoke in 2012. Gotcha. And you mentioned, so you mentioned that Sabrina had like, she had her, her short list of places. Mm-hmm. She's obviously doing her research. Yep. She's the brains behind the operation. 100%. 100%. Um, and you mentioned the, like upward uh, mobility yep. for African Americans. Is yep. that is that yep. a criteria that she was actually looking for? Oh, for sure. Okay. Uh, I mean, and that was and that was the voice that you were looking to. Right. That that you wanted to get into the chef game. I'm to, gonna be a hundred. Yeah. I just wanted to come to a place where, at the time, it's Bruce Moffitt, it's Paul Verica, it's Tim Grudy, it's Mark Jacksena, right? And I definitely could be missing a couple names, but not a lot at the yeah. time. Well, mm-hmm. Adam over in uh, Sante and Matthews, but it, there weren't a lot of Gene Briggs. chefs. Gene Briggs, right? Yep. Uh, at Blue, right? Yep. And there were like maybe 10. There yeah, were maybe 10 yeah. chefs here who were thinking about markets, who were forward thinking about the produce and the proteins that we have here, right? Uh, working with farms. It wasn't a lot. Charleston, I was like, look, man, I don't like the history of Charleston, or the history that I know of Charleston, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like the Phoenix has a uh, like a like a like a good old boys club network type thing. <laughs> yeah. Charleston is super deep, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. doesn't and Sabrina just didn't like it there. She was like, nah, I don't want to do that there. Um, yep. So it felt like Charlotte was a place to where I could come, start something, and be a part of something that was happening. Mm-hmm. I saw it if I saw it bubbling. Yeah, um, I saw that there was an emergence coming, and that chefs were thinking in a way. That wasn't necessarily singular to Charlotte, but it was trying to centralize itself in Charlotte. So I was like, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. It wasn't, I, re- I really wasn't, my, my voice as a black chef has emerged as I've gotten older, as I've found different things. We can dig deep into that too. Yeah. But when I came, I was just like, yo, I just, it's not 30 chefs deep there. Yep. It's 10. I can find a place there. It seemed like at that time, there's a lot of room. Right. There was a lot of right. room to get right. into the pool, right. and there right. was space to be able to right. explore like whatever your right. your angle was right. going to be, whatever your right. cooking voice was going right. to be. Um, you got to find that. Yeah, and I knew there was room here to find that. It wasn't it wasn't me going to California and being Californian cooking. It wasn't me going to Charleston and being Low Country. Yeah. I knew here it was like we Charlotte. It was steaks and banks. So, like, it wasn't yeah. – people were doing stuff, but there wasn't a voice. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. I knew I could be a part of that story. Right on. So, you guys moved into Charlotte uh-huh. 2012. Mm-hmm. You opened the Yolk out in – that was in Rock right. Hill. So it was the original. We signed the lease for the Yolk February 28th. We signed the lease for our apartment March 1st. <laughs> and we opened the Yolk March 21st Damn. in Rock Hill. So, the Yolk, was that, like, established? Was it already going when you – we never, so it was a. What was the story diner. with that when you guys? It was okay. a, it was a like a barbecue spot or something. Which okay. they didn't have a smoker. I'm not gonna dig too deep into what they had going on. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> it wasn't. It was what it was. It was yeah. a hole in the wall, green carpet on the floor, green yeah. booths, and I was like, my intention was, I'm about to come and I'm about to cook this local food. I'm about to work with these farms and I'm about to get it in. And Sabrina, <laughs> again, <laughs> as wise as she is, walked in and said, Yeah, babe, we gotta do breakfast. And I was like, Shit. 
You're right. So, not really defeated because to backtrack, I had a job in Phoenix, right? Uh, a few jobs. I was working at this place at the Phoenician, right? Working at the resort, right? I'm loving it. I'm doing my thing. I'm working breakfast. I just kept seeing chefs come in and work breakfast for a month and then do lunch. And I was like, how do these chefs keep beating me in this system? Like, what, like what's going on? What's happening? And I kept trying to find a way to get to lunch. And then I was just kept trying to find a way to get out of there because I was like, yo, this chef's not going to let me move. He got it out for me or whatever. I just, I didn't know what it was. It was a lot of thoughts that I had. But after talking to him, after leaving, he said, man, I'm going to be honest with you. When, and I worked eggs, right? He said, man, when you find somebody who can cook eggs perfectly, you don't let them go. Uh -huh. And I was like, it takes skill. I was like, what? It's eggs. For me, I didn't understand, nor did I appreciate it. And I did that for like nine months, trying to leave, trying to go do something else. He was just like, nah, like, you do this. And I, I, I was like, I'll work overnight. He was like, okay, cool. You can work overnight one day a week if you want to, but yeah. you working Saturday, Sunday. <laughs> yeah. I, got this, you, I got you on eggs. On this French top, you working <laughs> eggs. And, I, and, I, and I, I, I did it, for one, I didn't recognize how important it was going to be in my future. Mm -hmm. And for two, I didn't understand that I had honed a skill that was extremely valuable to somebody who had been doing this in a long time. Yep. Um, for the yolk because yeah most cooks yeah. young young cooks can't cook eggs i don't they can't, they, they're, they're not good at it because they're finicky they takes it takes a little finesse to cook eggs it uh, it takes a lot for them not to be greasy and for the pan not to stick and, or not and to be, for not to be not brown to, yeah brown not to be like, crispy over easy and over medium for a lot of people is the same thing yeah if you can cook eggs you know that there's a difference it might be subtle but you know that there's a difference learning about how to work a saute pan understanding carryover mm -hmm. carryover in a steak you got a lot of room yeah. on a steak but for eggs yeah five seconds you're done yeah like it, it, it over easy over like medium that. and then it's like you just got like gelled that. up put it up in yep. the heat lamp you ain't you can't yeah. hang so dunzo <laughs> it taught me a lot about Timing, skills, timing, heat control, all that, temp control. Being like, it was a French top, so the center is super hot, and I'm moving pans mm -hmm. around. So it just it I helped me it. become a really great cook, and I didn't know that that's what it was doing at the time. Yeah. Also, I never thought I was gonna open a breakfast restaurant, no. but as soon as I walked in, it was like, yeah, we gotta do breakfast, and that for me was that that was the start of trying to figure out how to introduce. I said I use this example all the time. My dad and my mom eat the same thing. Every time they come to any other restaurant, for for at the Yoke, my pops was always wings and waffles and a side of scrambled eggs, sauce, scrambled sauce. No matter what, yeah, accolades be damned. Yeah, uh, I was like, yo, chef, like, I mean, your pops like, like I'm like I'm da da da. All right, cool. Give me a ten piece, uh, <laughs> five season, five hot, and waffles. A lot of people don't know about the Green Book. The Green Book back in the day was a book that black people used to travel through the South and North to know, you know, when I go to Charlotte, these restaurants will serve us. So because we couldn't necessarily, you might go from Charlotte to Raleigh to D.C. D.C. is eight hours. So we would carry fried chicken or whatever and leave it up in the window. My pop still does that. Today, he, like so, he gets his wings. He pops it on the, the glove box. Pops uh, it, pop, the, pop it on the hood. He set out, and then like every time, like with the yolk, he gets wings and waffles. He eats them, takes them home, eats them, and then before he go, he head out. Right before he head out, he say, "Yo, give me a ten piece." And he get a ten piece, half high, half season. And so when I'm thinking about cooking, I can't necessarily think about foodies. I can't necessarily think about the people who are making uh, the nominations, or whatever. How do I get an older black couple to think about butternut squash? Mm -hmm. I got to put it in a waffle. 
I got to put it in the wing sauce. I got to put it in grits, maybe. Maybe I'm doing butter and squash grits, right? And I have mm-hmm. to do these things because I'm trying. I'm always thinking about what my people are going to say and how our culture thinks about food and food ways and dining and all that stuff. So there's always a thread of that where we're making all our moves. That sparked a memory of mine of the yolk. Yeah. I think it was like, a, it was a couple of months after Five Church opened. So it was probably in the summer right. of 2012 or something. Right. I, I went out there to check it out because I heard about it. Right. Heard about you and I was like, All right, I want to go check this place out. I right, never right. go to Rock Hill. Right. right? You know, I, I lived in Plaza Midwood. I was right, like, why right, the hell right. would I be out there? Right, right, right. So, um, so I went out there and I had brunch mm. and I remembered I, I got, I got like a, it might have been like a corned beef or something like that right. or like uh, like a hash. Mojo what, hash. It, yeah, it was a hash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did it have butternut or or sweet potatoes? Uh, in sweet it? potatoes, mushroom. We still so still that. It still is. Uh, you still do that dish? Roasted mushroom. It's gonna be at the yolk because yeah. it's kind of one yeah, of those. Yeah. How we take it off? Sweet potatoes, mushrooms, a coffee rub, coffee rub steak, coffee as the sauce too. Yeah, and and it was awesome, and I was yeah. and I never. Had, I never had that combination before at a right. breakfast hash, and I was like, right, right, right. "This is re- like." I remember being really impressed by the approach that you took to the breakfast food, right? Right, right, Because right. a lot of people, breakfast is a throwaway the, thing. They're just cheapest like, thing you could do, yeah. fast as you can do. It. Yeah, exactly. For sure, for and sure. you definitely took some care and pride into it. Yeah, yeah. and um, and that struck a note with me, and I was like, "All right, right I can't, I want to see what this guy does." Right, right, right. Right. So okay, cool. So the yolk crushes. Right. For. We did really Three good. Years? No, we stayed. So five years. When did you no. come to Uptown? So the yolk. So that. So that happened in 2018. Okay. The important, one of the most important years, and I call it uh, for me, it was the, do you really want to do this year for me? Because we always had those moments of whatever we're going through. Like I mean, for some people, it's addiction or alcoholism or just the industry itself taking a toll on you, and you know how people are treating you. So like. We all had those moments of, man, do I really want to keep doing this? So 2014, May, my sister and my mom are living with us. Sabrina's parents are living with us. Sabrina's family. So it's four four people in her family, two people in my family, us two in a three-bedroom house, right? We were good. Me and Sabrina would get to a place where things were moving and we were great. So that happens in May of 2014. Like, we got all these people living in the house. The restaurant catches on fire in August of 2014. So now not only do I not, the thing that who, men often attach our identity to the things that we do. So for me, it's like, yo, the thing that I do, AKA who I am, is no longer existing. So I'm at home going into the room by myself every day. I'm not hanging out, I'm not talking to people. I'm clearly not happy with the situation. October 18th, my, my sister goes in the hospital. She, she's pregnant. She's had, had a baby. She's been living in our house the whole time. We don't know nothing about this. She had a baby. Two weeks later, she dies from complications of the birth. She had real bad blood cuts or whatever. Restaurant's still closed. We're building, rebuilding the restaurant. So she dies November, not, not two weeks later. November 18th, she passes. We drive down to Tallahassee. We put her ashes into the ocean, drive back up. We open the yoke back up December 4th. Whoa. So I'm in the restaurant constantly. There's tears in my eyes. I make biscuits. She's the first person who ever made biscuits in the restaurant. So every time I'm, t- I'm making biscuits, I'm, I'm welled up the whole yeah. time. And it's just like I'm trying to figure out, yo, man, like, do I even want to do this? Because I don't, I don't know. Like, I just lost my baby sister who I've always supposed to have been the protector. Like, that's mm-hmm. my – 
little one, like I gotta make sure she's straight and she's gone and I couldn't do nothing about it. Again, back to that control thing that as chefs, as men, like he's like, we gotta make sure everything is where it needs to be because that's our job. So I was fucked up like the whole year, 2015, like there's pictures that I have of me drinking or it's a lot of shit, bro. I was just looking at pictures like, damn, we had a Super Bowl party that year? And Sabrina's like, yeah, babe, you don't remember that? No, 2015, I think I drank every single day of 2015 because I just didn't know how to deal with it and handle it. So I don't even understand what happened in 2015. So boom, 2014 was the year that was going to make or break me. And it did its damnedest to break me. Yeah. But again, like, I, I, for me, like, I married Sabrina because I just fell in love with her, right? But I also knew she's Aries. She's extremely protective of, of us and our brand and everything that has anything to do with me. She's like, I'm bad with somebody messing with her. I'm physical, right? So if somebody does something to her, I'm, I'm, I'm 10,000, right? I'm quick, super active mode. But if somebody does something to me, though, man, look. Like, I sometimes I'm like, hey, hold on. I, you, I got it. You don't have to do it. And she's, like, super fiery. So she was in that mode the whole time, like, protecting me in 2015. That was, my mom said, so on the beach, we put the ashes in the beach, and I broke down. Like, I, all the energy and body left. Like, I just had nothing. I was like, yo, if I'm doing this, what else am I supposed to be here for, right? And she caught me before I hit the ground. And my mom tells me that was the moment where she no longer questioned whether Sabrina, like, she was like, okay, she the one. Yeah. Just like that. Like, yo, yeah. if she she got him now. She's just mm -hmm. like, she, we went back to the room, whatever, went back home, whatever. She was like, yo, this woman has my son now. I know he's good now. Yeah. And she recalls that as the moment where she was like, y'all going to be fine. So, like, 2014 was a crazy year. Yeah. So, and all I like to say, boom, we opened at dawn, 2016. That wasn't a good situation to walk in the first place. Bad parking, bad location. It didn't work out. We and that was, it. like, the little. And uh, Ashley. Yep. Didn't work out. So, we closed that up. Boom, came back. And we really dug in. And then, 2018, we got the opportunity to move from, the 7th, from Rock Hill to the 7th Street Market. Yep. I knew, and I was also consulting that lobster seller. Both of these things are super important. One, it was the first time I actually got to Charlotte. I'm, I'm a Patriots fan, so I got a chip on my shoulder. Right? I always think somebody out to get me, no matter what. People could love me. I, for a long time, I was like, like fuck Charlotte chefs. I was like, I'm in Rock Hill. They don't fuck with me. They don't like me. I remember me and you. I'm thinking, oh, shit. Okay. Chris Coleman. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mark just said, oh, shit, okay. Like, uh, like I need to get down there. there. I need to go. I was like, when I met these people, I was like, oh, shit. Like, okay. Like, they not... I'm, I needed, I was driving myself to be anti y'all, to, to create something in myself, to drive me, to keep pushing. Then I started meeting people. The PCG is super important in this conversation, right? Yeah, when I we're going to gonna get to that because you, you play a big role in the PCG. Right, especially now. Too. So let's, we'll, we'll get yeah, to yeah, that. Later. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, let's, let's that navigate was, into that. That was that. super important. So boom, 2016, we closed, boom, we come back. 2018, we decided to move and I decided to consult that lobster seller. For me, it was... So did those happen at the same time? Same time. So in 2018, you guys September moved 2018. the yoke to 7th Street yep. Station. Yep. And you started to... Consulting at Lofton Cellar. Okay. Both happened at the same time. I knew I knew that we was going to take like three months to get 7th Street straight. So in September, we closed, started to move to uh, uh, 7th Street. And I knew, I was like, yo, I got three months. Let me go get it in and do dinner because I need it again. I'm trying to prove a point. And we cooked food at Lofton Cellar that I don't think people had really. There, there wasn't, so for me, I don't think the way I was cooking, how I was putting flavors together, had been done that specific in Charlotte. So I think people were like, 
Talk, talk about that for a minute. What, what was your um, approach there that was different? When I cook, like we talked about it earlier, my, the context of the majority of my cooking outside of one, I'm from Memphis, right? My flavor profile is based on Memphis barbecue and things I grew up eating in Memphis. It's and and your family's from Memphis too, yeah, right? 100%. Because because all Sabrina's you, family too. Yeah, and you're just real quick before we get yeah. into your your cooking voice there, because right, right, right. that's the term I like to use because my right. cooking voice has been developing over years. Right, right. But your story, your relationship with your grandma and your 100%. mom was 100%. like that's where all this cooking and hospitality came from, right? For sure. So the I, the thought process of my first job in the kitchen comes from me being a knucklehead. Like, I had a full <laughs> academic scholarship to the University of Tennessee. Full academic, right? And I just went up there and fucked it away. And then I came back home, got a scholarship to the University of Memphis. Again, I'm cool. I'm doing my thing. Two years, and I just, I'm not in it. It wasn't the thing. Yeah. Was, I it, just was, was it school? It. Was it like, I you just, just, you weren't into school? You it wasn't in... cooking. Yeah. And I didn't know that it wasn't cooking at the time. Mm-hmm. I just knew it wasn't it. I, okay. I don't know what it was. It I just didn't knew... feel right. Whatever, it's too easy. It's no challenge to it. There's no, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just another person in class. I'm not, I don't mean anything in this cog and this machine. Um, which, which oddly enough was the same reason why I got to a point in Arizona where I needed to go say something because I felt like I wasn't, there, at the time, Greg Collier was replaceable. I could be any other young black chef in the kitchen and it didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mean anything. But anyway, family. So cooking at the restaurant was the first time I found myself like, oh, wow, washing dishes. I was like, y'all love this, and I can eat free. And at the time, I was like, y'all, and I can still get high. Y'all ain't going to give me no drugs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm with this. Like, yeah, I'm a – and I was coming in, I was grinding, I was about it. And then, like, somebody got fired, and I kept – so I kept working my way up the ladder, and I just kept finding myself, I would go get another job, and I still would be in a hot wing spot. Mm-hmm. I got a second job, and I'm still trying to find two hours, two days a week, something to be in this kitchen working. And my, uh, my girlfriend at the time was like, why are you doing this? And she was a, I'm not going to talk about her. Anyway, so my girlfriend times like, why are you doing this? And for her to not be one who had really succinct things to say, I was like, I don't know why I'm doing this. And then I kind of, I read a book and said, do what people know you for. So anyway, that's how I started cooking. But everybody in my family cooked. When I was younger, I was the one in the garden with my granny. I was the mm-hmm. one in the kitchen with my granny. But I don't, they tell me this now. But I didn't, for black folks, cooking in kitchens for not black people is a sign of servitude and not something that they wanted me to do. And I don't, they never voiced this to me, but it's a collective consciousness. You ain't been, you ain't finna be working in no kitchens. That ain't, that's not something that was seen at the time as important or valuable work. Yo, go mm-hmm. be a doctor, mm-hmm. go play a sport, um, go be an engineer. It was like, you gotta do these things that we find value in that wasn't cooking. They didn't, but they didn't know that this could happen. Where we're at now, my mom, my mom, my dad doesn't talk a lot. But he tells everybody else, yo, man, my, you know, my son is in this magazine. He's proud of you. Super proud. Yeah. But if I'd have told him I wanted to be a chef out of high school, he'd be like, for what? Yeah. He not hearing that because that we didn't we didn't understand the value of it. Um, one of the reasons is because we didn't see ourselves in it at that high level. So it's like, how can you say you could do something if you don't have anybody that's doing it at a high level? It was like Marcus Samuelson, and that was it. And I have to yeah. find him. So my family's voices, my time with my granny – working in the hot wing spot, Memphis culture, all those things have informed me of who I am as a cook and who I am as a man, too. Yeah. So at the cellar, mm-hmm. right? Yep, Lofton Cellar. Lofton Cellar. Is that kind of the basis of the cuisine that you started 
putting together? Or was it- I was trying to figure stuff out. Okay, so you were you were experimenting at that point. Yeah, I just I had never done dinner. Right. We done like dinners with people, yeah. PCG dinners, or whatever. But I had never focused my time or energy on dinner. Yeah. Um, like some for me, it was sorghum butter with cocoa biscuits. Right. Mm-hmm. That, it's biscuits and butter. I had to think about very subtle ways to tell really important stories in a way that hadn't been told by a black voice yet. We had a lot of people cooking stuff, the food in Charlotte, mm-hmm. but everybody was, it was shrimp and grits. Well, not everybody, because I don't want to make the contributions of people who I think important, not important. But a lot of people, shrimp and grits, scallop and grits. Oh, I'm not going to do shrimp and grits, I'm going to do scallop and grits, right? It was, it was having a conversation about Southern food in a way, for one, it was all white chefs doing it, right? There had mm-hmm. not been a black chef cooking Southern food that wasn't soul food. There's always been this segregation of Southern food versus soul food, right? So I think I was one of the first people who didn't run from it, Southern food in that way, but I also was trying to push it, trying to play it a little different, trying to think about it a little different. We had a duck and dumplings dish. Was like the classic thing, duck and corn makes sense. Mm-hmm. So we just did cornmeal dumplings in the traditional French Parisian gnocchi style. Mm-hmm. We just used cornmeal and, and, and roasted corn, and we still did a really nice, beautiful pan seared piece of duck on that. That's not really, that ain't soul food, but it also ain't super high end $45 duck breast plate. So for me, the, con- the conversation was just about trying to put black culture in the center of food and people understanding that. Like, we played the music we played, and it was just a different vibe. And the owner of Lost the Cellar was, is Jerry Mercer, right? It's a black dude. There ain't never been an executive chef and an owner in the middle of downtown that was both black. So saying that was something that people had to start writing about, mm-hmm. and it was important. I think people don't really give credence to that, like being the first to do something. Like, people don't, yeah. people are like, oh, yeah, oh, it happens all the time. For you, it might, right? But that's because you don't understand what's going on with other people's cultures and other identities. So it's easy for you to say, "Oh man, that's easy. That don't happen, or that will happen, or whatever the case." I got to pick on you a little bit, real quick. I love you. Do it. We had pick a conversation. I got thick skin. I, 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 every, I know every, you. I know you. Everybody picks on uh, me, so go for it. <laughs> so we had a conversation uh, at Haymaker, and we were all talking about investments and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, and, and you and William was kind of like, "Oh man, it'll come." Bro, I'm the first person in Charlotte to ever been in the finals. Ain't nobody knocking on my door writing me no checks. Yeah. Because the truth is people haven't gotten comfortable with the idea of the black leading man in that way. I'm cool. I'm clean. Like, I don't – I'm a human. Right. So I don't necessarily do everything perfect. Yeah. But it just hasn't happened because people aren't used to that idea. It's just not used to it. It's just I don't I don't I don't really know the reasons behind it. I don't know the uh anthropology behind it or whatever. I just know that if I was anybody else and I had got to here, uh-huh. oh, bro, I would have I had to be beating people away. Yep. Hey, everybody be knocking on my door. But anyway, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to be in the space that I'm in and I'm happy to be the one that represents because I think it's super valuable for people to see me. Because yeah. now that people see me, you got Oscar and Coop, right? Now they're Oscar and Cooper are not an anomaly. Now you got Brandon and Courtney who work with me. Now you got Kyle who's the CDC over at uh, Community Matters Cafe. Now you have people Elijah Wong who's running. I can't even think of the name, but it's a hotel in South Park. You got more people. Chad over at Haymaker, mm-hmm. Jamie and Greg, and all the things that we done with Soul Food Sessions, and that happened in 2016 too. So 2018 was the year 
a lot of stuff happened in 2018. We went on the uh, Soul Food Sessions tour in 2018. So let's talk about Soul Two. Food Sessions. Yeah. Okay, you're going fast. Yep. There's a lot going on it's here. It's a lot. It's a lot. And we, so need to, we need to dig yeah. back and get so, back into so, so, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. We might have to do a second episode. I ain't got no problem with it. Yeah, because there's a lot of information yeah. to unpack about your story. For sure. And, and I think, you know, I believe that you have been super inf influential in affording opportunities for a lot of these young black cooks right. who who would not have maybe had that opportunity for sure. if you hadn't kind of ha beat a path right. um, to do it. Because yeah. a lot of what you did, you did on your own right, with right. Sabrina. Right. Like you guys kind of... And mean, we, and, and, and be clear, right? Like Sabrina and I, and Sabrina never wanted to be the person, but I... I knew that I was becoming the person. And when Soul Food Sessions happened, she was the one who ran the front of the house. And I was like, babe, I know it's all about me and you want it to be all about the chefs. There are no black women in the hospitality industry in the front of the house who are the people that, like, don't, ain't nobody looking at Sabrina. Sabrina is a one of one in that way. And I'm like, yo, people need to hear it from you. People need to hear your conversation. We need to, we need to get you out there. But anyway. So is, she, is she more is she more comfortable with that now? She she owns it now. Yeah, like now, now she's now she's boss. Now it's because <laughs> she's always been that energy for me. She like right. Sabrina gives me the confidence in myself. Like I'm not I'm I'm a I'm a Leo right, so I'm a little cocky. Yeah, but she gives me the confidence to go with that cocky. It's not just oh, I'm the best and no work and no energy behind it. When I'm down myself, she she like bro, you know who you are. You know how much work you'll put in. And then also when I'm <laughs> It's a little too high of myself. She's like, hey, yeah, bro, you need to calm down. You just burnt grits the other day. Oh, you just did what like. So she's the one who gives me the energy and the power to move like how I move. Um, I think that's super important too. Black couples, like, no, we're not having a lot of conversations about the couples running the industry. You got Joe and Katie Kendrick. Yep. And that's it, right? So for a long time, and they still are on, on, on the top of their game and killing it. You don't see no black couples doing this. You don't see the black family unit expressed in a way in the hospitality industry or in the industry. That's not something that we talk about, but we're going to dig into but that we, But we should talk about it. Right. Let's talk about it right now. It's, so it's but a, so because, because I think that's important. So what I was getting at was that right. you got the two of you. Right, right, right. And I want to talk. I mean, there's so much to talk it's about. It's a lot. There's so time. much to talk about. We yeah, we're going to do it up in a second. We got episode. time. We got, we got time. it. We got time. You are a large personality you are for a sure. bold person you for sure. you have strong opinions you're for not sure. afraid to tell people what's for on sure. your mind for sure um that's that cockiness that you mentioned a minute right, ago right. did you always have confidence behind that or you mentioned something about sabrina kind of being that that driving force of that hammer for that is that like so where is the lightning rod okay it was always has that always been your personality my pops has always instilled confidence in me Mm -hmm. My pops, so my pops was the first, was in the first class of people who integrated Whitehaven High School. It's high school I graduated from, high school he graduated from. Actually, my pops dropped out. He he's so weird. He dropped out to go get his GED like super young because he was like, if it's if the, if the diploma is the thing, I'll just go get it. I ain't gonna waste time with school. I just go get it. But anyway, um, so he was the first person to integrate a class in '74. Mm -hmm. 74, that ain't even, that's 50, that ain't even 50 whole years ago. That's not that long ago. Right. <laughs> it's right around the corner. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he's the first person to integrate school. He literally had to fight his way back home. That's not like a, a anecdotal, yo, look at what I had to go through. He, he was in karate. 
He had to. He took karate because I mean, my pops says he's a bad man. I'm a roll with him. My pops a bad dude, right? <laughs> um, and he had to fight his way from school to home, literally. White dudes running down the street, throwing bricks at him, trying to fight him. He just dusted them. Pop out, <laughs> run. Pop out, <laughs> run. And like people tell me these stories, not him. Anyway, so he instilled in me the understanding of who I was and the strength and the power and. Always told me, bro, don't worry about it. you got it. You, you know who you are. You the one. Like you could be the one. Like and just always here. So I always had the confidence. What Sabrina did is, I think Sabrina kind of connected me with that. You know, people talk about love as being that ethereal energy all the time, right? That makes you strong. But like Sabrina connected me with otherworldliness, right? Like I, I actually believe in what you believe in is who you become. I believe that she connected me to the manifest. Like she, she really said, okay. I'm here already. I got you. And when we got together, everything got better for me. Like literally everything in my life that I was doing that was good got better. When I tell you, so we, we got together in 2009. The, how good I became as a cook, just a cook in the kitchen, it's because of her and her connection. I put in work. Yeah. A lot of work. What, what do you think that was? Was it, were you trying to impress her? Did you not want to let her down? Was oh. it just, did she bring an energy to you that like improved your game and like evolved Sabrina your... believes in me like a mom believes in her baby. Yeah. That belief, and my mom believes in me. Mm -hmm. But the belief that Sabrina has in me, bro, it's crazy. It's crazy. She was the first person to tell me I, uh, I got the, well, I don't know if she was the first person, but... When, I, when she called me and told me about the NOM in 2018, or 2019 or whatever, she was like, I kind of cried a little bit because it's her for me. Like, it's she's the one. She mm -hmm. completes everything. She's the cherry on top. She's the better half and all that. <laughs> like, all the all the cliche things we say. Yeah. Like, she's really that for me. And we argue a lot. But I know she's coming from a place of love. So I can receive that, even if I can't receive it in that moment. So, I mean, I, 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 I genuinely think it's, like when people say, man, when you have kids, your life's going to change. You're going to care so much. Like it's the first time you're a part of creation. Women bring in the creation. Mm -hmm. So if I think I'm the one, if I if I view myself as God body, right? Like if I'm on my New York shit for real quick, if I view myself as God, she's got to be the goddess because she's the only one that can bring another me in this world. Mm -hmm. So my mom's that. So I have to look at her as a black woman and what I have to deal with as a black man. she got to deal with worse. She like all of those things really actually physically here and the cliche version of that. It's that for me. Like if she believes in something, I tell people all the time, if she believes in it, I'm, a, I'm with it. Cause you know how we are. We'd be yeah. at home and we'd be like, yo, I want to start building cars. And sometimes the wife is like, eh, maybe you should start with model cars. Yeah. You fucking get in there and start building a model car. You're like, I don't want to do this anymore. She's like, and that's why you're yeah. not building cars. That's right. We need that. Yeah. We need that buffer, that muffler sometime, <laughs> that catalytic converter to get us, to get the stuff that we try to get out channeled. Right. She does that for me. That's so, awesome. That's yeah, a bro. great little for analogy. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, like it was a long one. It yeah. was a long one. No, I like it though, because I get it. Yeah, man. And I mean, funny. like, you know what I'm saying? I think everybody needs that, whether it's a woman, a man, a, a, a thing, a, a pet. We need that thing. To help us channel our energy, to help us believe in ourselves, to help us understand the power of manifestation. You gotta leave stuff alone and just let it happen. Like Sabrina kinda Sabrina, not kinda, she does that for me. She is And so she brought that. Did you have an idea of that power of manifestation before Sabrina? Or did she bring that? You kinda, kinda see what she's I also she's a lightning rod, right? Like so when I moved to Arizona, 
And the reason why I moved to Arizona, too, from Memphis is because Memphis is what Memphis is, right? I needed to go to a place nothing like Memphis to find out who I actually was. Mm-hmm. As soon as I got out there, I was, I'm on the internet and going out YouTube holes, I found out about the secret. Once I find out about the secret, I find out about different tools of manifestation. Believe, just like, not just believing in yourself. If you can believe, you can achieve. So many things that I heard my whole life was like, oh, this is what they mean. That shit is true, though. Yeah. That shit is true. But you don't know that. Until it happens. Right. And going to Arizona was like going to Arizona being a culinary show was the first time it happens. I remember all the moments in my career where switch it. Mm-hmm. Like I remember being on the line and somebody called out and me having to work saute and garmage and giggling yeah. with happiness about it. You're like, I'm on show. And now, I'm like, this is my chance to show. And I'm like, ooh, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm like a kid in the candy store, <laughs> so happy. And people are like, bro, you okay? Cause we we're dying, we're like we're getting destroyed. Yeah. But I'm not. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, on it. I remember that. I remember being in the kitchen and we had an open kitchen and feeling eyes on me and thinking, y'all tripping? It's just the people. And looking up and cooks in the kitchen were looking at me. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh shit! I I just I just got I just found a whistle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I was like, I'm on level three right now, but I just found a whistle. I'm on like level six, and I remember getting to it. You know what I mean? So yeah. I remember those moments and. All of those moments come after Sabrina with me. Mm-hmm. So, like, y'all put in the work. Y'all put in the time. Y'all put in the effort and energy. But none of those things happened pre her, and none of those things happened without her. So, yeah, yeah. I had it. Yeah. It was there. But you needed to complete the for sure the circuit there. For sure. Like, it was, yeah. it was like, perfect. I just didn't have the completion of the circuit. I just yeah. didn't have the lightning rod to spark. Yeah. I had the design and all that. Like, I was the Frankenstein monster. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I was there. She sparked me up. But yeah. I could become the greatest thing I could possibly become. That's awesome. Whatever. Well, I think the next, probably the next level of greatness for you is going to be as a dad. Mm. That's about to happen. Bro, <laughs> I'm going to tell you a wild thing about, for me, about fatherhood, man, and about, I said I wanted a girl first. And when I found out we were pregnant, and because we went through the fertilization process, we knew before we knew what the eggs were before we knew what we were. She was pregnant. So we knew what the eggs were. And it's <laughs> so crazy. So we're in the thing, and the transfer happens. And the doc says, whoa. <laughs> we're like, he was like, whoa, yeah, she shot in there. And I'm like, oh, yeah. It's, I know she's pregnant. Like, the, the way the doc exclaimed about the transfer, yeah. he was like, whoa. And then we, were, we showed. He was like, I want to show y'all. So, yeah, she just shot in there, huh? And we was like, all right, cool. We found out that Sabrina was pregnant the day of the Food and Wine Festival. Oh, wow. The first day. And I'm going to call my dad. And she's been telling me, don't tell nobody, don't tell nobody, don't tell nobody. So it happened. She get the news. <laughs> the people say, we usually have to do some things. And the doctor waves. She say, yeah, your numbers are so off the charts right now. You're pregnant. Don't yeah, even. Yeah. Don't trip. You're There's pregnant. There's no false positive here. There's even, no. Yeah, you're pregnant. Like, it's good. Like, the, the nurse call. Like, they didn't even need to go to the doctors yeah. all the channels. They was sure. Everybody was sure. <laughs> And that's an, even that for me, like, is the thing, like, even my baby is like, yo, I'm here. Yeah. Like, not kind of here, not maybe here. It's like, yo, I'm, yeah, what's up? Let's do it. We about to do some things. So, like, for me, my parents, my so my grandparents were at a station, and they did whatever they need to do on uh, both sides of our family, right? And obviously, they were around in the early 19, like, 1920s, 1930s, right? My grandparents were. So, they had to deal with things that, levels of racism that I couldn't even imagine. Like, I couldn't imagine walking by a water fountain and it say whites on it. How, how, I'd be mad at stuff that's way smaller than that now. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine having to deal with that. So 
Then my parents, my pops fighting to get home. I couldn't imagine walking home and having to fight a white dude to get home. Mm -hmm. To get home, Jamie. Like, I couldn't imagine that. So my parents, my grandparents went through what they went through, and my parents had to go through less. So the foundation my parents laid was based on what they had to go through. We've gone through what we've had to go through, but we didn't have to go through that. So now our foundation, what we, what the level that we're going to be able to be on, our baby is about to start there. It is one of the reasons, that thought process is one of the reasons why I can't be quiet when I see things happening in the industry, when I feel like black chefs are not getting opportunities, the white chefs and other chefs are getting, right? I'm going to say something, and I'm not just going to not see something. I'm going to say, I'm Greg. I'm at the time I'm one time Jamie nominated. I'm the easy one to pick. You can easily pick me to be in a dinner and say, "Look how diverse we are." I'm one of the best chefs in the city. What about the other guys? What about when we're not talking about the ten to twenty best chefs in the city? What about the next twenty to forty? What are black chefs in that conversation? What about the next forty to sixty? What are black chefs in that conversation? That understanding of what my parents had to go through and what how I'm. We did soul food sessions, right? Me, Mike Ballin, Jamie Barnes, Greg Williams, Jamie Turner, and Sabrina, right? The start of it. Then add Justin Hazleton and Dashaun uh, as the, the mixologist, right? Adding all these people, seeing what we do. Like, we just started because we just wanted to cook together. Seeing young black chefs, yo, what is this? I'm like, yo, we just wanted to cook together because we had never cooked together. We was always the one black chef at the dinner. So cooking together was just like, yo, I just want to, I just want to kick it with my people. It's kind of like, for, like you might go to New York and just like, yo, I just want to be with my New York folks, right? It feels different to right. be with people who share so many things with you. I had yeah. never been in a situation like that. So we do soul food sessions. You have that sessions. connection with them. You, you got to share a, that. Whatever that connection yeah. is, it's like, yeah, yo, it could be whatever. These are my people. Mm-hmm. So to be able to be in that room in that space and cook that dinner with my people, like it was like, yo, I ain't even know this was supposed to feel like this. It felt great. For the first time, I was like, yo, this is different. And that's not to say the camaraderie with all kinds of different chefs weren't amazing, but it just hadn't been this before. Right. Chefs reaching out to us and saying, man, what is this y'all doing? Like, Black's just like, yo, what? how do I get to be a part of this? I'm like, man, where y'all was at? Where y'all been at? And it's like, yo, I work here, I work here, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm boom. So now, with Soul Food Sessions, it becoming bigger and us add more chefs and add more chefs and finding more people and working with people. It's like, yo. So did you find that there was a a, a talent pool of black chefs mm-hmm. or cooks mm-hmm. or hospitality workers mm-hmm. that were there hustling, trying to figure out what, like, right. they, they, like they were trying to do it? Right. Or do you feel like they kind of came out of the woodwork right, right, right. because of Soul Food Sessions? Does that make sense? Do you see what yeah, I'm saying? No, no. I like to but, call it the Elvis Presley effect. Yeah. Elvis Presley was the representative of black music for white people to be able to palette it. He could dance, but so could Chuck Like a Barry white dude. And so could Lil Richard. <laughs> no, he, I ain't going to take that from him. He had a little I move. Love, I love his moves. Right, right, right. But it was, it was Lil Richard. It was Chuck yeah. Berry. It was a bunch of black people doing it. He was the representation of that. I feel like once... There, for us, there had been such a, especially in Charlotte, especially in the South, look at Southern food and what white chefs could do. The Elvis Presley effect. Mm-hmm. When somebody come in and they start telling the story different, it's like Big Mama Thornton, Chuck Berry, what are we what are we talking about? And I forgot the sister's name. I'm a, The next episode, I, I'm going to have his name. But so many people responsible for rock and roll, right, got the credit late. The, the Beatles will tell you, man, like, our inspiration is all these black artists, but the media don't really care. They're going to talk about the Beatles, and they're going to talk about the black artists. I think that's what happened. 
you could not talk about black chefs when soul food sessions happen. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, shit, let's talk about it now. Now it's, let's be in Charlotte Magazine, let's be in Charlotte Observe, let's be in all these things. And for a long time, it was just us. But what I think we recognized, and me and Sabrina definitely recognized, was let's bring another chef. So now when they talk about soul food sessions, they got to talk about soul food sessions plus one. And plus two, and plus three, and plus four. Now we go to Charleston, and we go with Kevin Mitchell and B.J. Dennis, who you got to talk about Sean Brock in Charleston. You have to, right? Mm -hmm. But you also need to talk about Kevin Mitchell and B.J. Dennis and all the people who are important, uh, Bertha's and all the things, and Hannibal's. You got to talk about those things in Charleston when you're talking about cookery. But until you got to talk about it, it's easy not to talk about it because people like seeing like, I used to fuck with y'all all the time. Like, people like seeing the tattoo chefs on the covers of magazines. Sure. It's like, oh, yeah, man, look, we got another one. We got yeah. another one. But now they don't because it's everybody's cool. all tattooed. Like, what's, it, what's because it's the it? norm, right? Now it gets, at first it's cool, but at some point it goes from being cool to being copied. And once it's being copied, it's got to be replaced. Right. Soul Food Sessions made it to where you couldn't just replace it. And also, I don't have no covers in no magazines, just to be clear. Mm-hmm. You couldn't just replace it with another same kind of white chef. You got to figure out a new white chef to put mm-hmm. um, And I think Soul Food Sessions said, hey, look, stop making excuses about why ain't no black chefs being in the conversation. Ain't no more excuses. So not only did Soul Food Sessions say that, not only did Soul Food Sessions say we all talented, Soul Food Sessions allows, for me specifically, now we have a movement that's happening with black chefs. And now I don't have to be the black chef just trying to push in the way. Come on, Mike. Now it's a bunch of us pushing. Now it's six, seven, ten, mm-hmm. twenty. And it was already that they were already doing it, but now we're collecting when we're doing it together. So now we're seeing each other at the same time. Now we go to DC and we do something with Terrence Tomlin and Jerome Grant. Or we go to New York and we're cooking with Chris Scott. Now we're building this momentum and people have to look at us and they have to talk about us because mm-hmm. now it's not one black chef. Now it's 10, 20, 30. Right. And you gotta talk about us because if you put our food next to other food, it's on par. Mm-hmm. So now you gotta have a conversation about great food and you can't hide. Mm-hmm. Now you got now it's to the point to where if you're not talking about what Oscar and Cooper doing, if you're not talking about Kyle and what the, and Kyle and what him and Brandon are doing with the Heritage Dinners, you're doing it on purpose. You're making a point to not talk about black chefs. Now you we know that. Now we can see it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That was like, oh yeah. yeah, now y'all doing it on purpose. Now mm-hmm. you can't hide behind it. Um, so I think that was that was super important. So I think there were black chefs, black cooks who were super talented, who and I say all the time, a lot of times, because we all hire in our networks, for white chefs to be anti-racist, you have to try to be anti-racist. You can't do it by mistake. For white chefs to find diversity, you have to find diversity. Because if you go holler at your other homie as a white chef, I know you know my guy Gerald too, right? Oh, dude, so, I'm like, Gerald cool as it. Gerald's my boy, dude. So, I y'all having Gerald. a relationship. And even, yeah. uh, were you on a season with Brother Luck too? Uh, no. But y'all, I mean, y'all, yeah, pr- but y'all we're, but we're friends from the, the, the For just Bravo hanging family, out together, yeah, yeah. right? So, what I'm saying is, before you make these connections with people, your network looks like you. Yep. So, now you're talking to people about people. And I said all the time, like I wasn't hanging out with the with the white chefs in in Phoenix. Right. I'm not fucking going to a club and drinking at the time on no Jägermeister. I'm not drinking that <laughs> shit. That's disgusting. <laughs> I'm not hanging with y'all out to work and drinking Jägermeister. I'm going home yeah. and hanging with my homies, and we are gonna go drink uh Remy at the time or whatever, because mm-hmm. it's a cultural disconnect. So I don't even have the opportunity to network for chefs to get to know me. So now it's just you just hiring who you know who do what you do. Yep. I ain't doing that. So I'm not in that circle. I'm not in that zone. Another thing Soul Food Sessions did was connect the dots from a cultural perspective to now, now I'm Chef Greg Carr. So now you need somebody I can call you and say, hey, yeah, man, I got a guy. 
You're like, all right, bet. Mm-hmm. Bring him in. So now if he does what he needs to do at the op- for the opportunity and he's not hired, then I can look at you or look at whatever chef and say, oh, you bullshit. I know yeah. how talented he is. Mm-hmm. I know what you do. Now I know you playing. So I think that's kind of a trickle-down effect to where we just made it to where black chefs, you couldn't hide them in country clubs or wherever they were hiding. Mm-hmm. Now they out here. So now when opportunities happen, if they applied and you don't hire a black chef and they applied, I know it's another reason. It ain't because of talent. Maybe I just didn't get along, whatever. But I know it's a reason other than this person is not talented enough. That's that was that's kind of always the thing. Oh, he's not talented enough. You know, it was like that in athletics. Oh, they're not smart enough. Mm-hmm. Then it was like, yo, all right, boom. The guy, you got to find reasons to keep us out. I think we made it to where the reasons to keep us out started to go away, and now it's just got to be you being racist. Yeah, it's got to be that. It can't be done enough. So Soul Food Sessions, are you, is it? It's actively still doing dinners, right? So it we started, have it started as pop ups, right? You guys right. did like a couple. We did a pop up at Don. Yep. We was ours. Yep. And then we did another one at Lucas when he was on Elizabeth. Yep. And then we did another one. What was the next one at? I can't even remember. We just kept. We did another one at Project Six Five Eight when Hector and Ed Price were over there. We just kept doing dinners. It kept growing. It kept getting bigger and kept including more black chefs. And then in 2018 is when Coca Cola Consolidated was like. We love what y'all are doing. We appreciate the message we want to be a part of. And they actually put money behind us, they took us on tour, and they allowed us to actually give scholarships to African-American students in these places. That's so awesome. That's, I didn't realize that you guys yeah. got sponsored by Coke. Right. That's awesome. That's a huge. A, that was the That's year. a huge step because now, you got, some, now you got some financial right. support to right. make it go. We got media training. Yep. And so for me and Sabrina, did they give you guys this. media training? Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Coke did that? Yeah. So we had so many things, and it was yeah. like an hour or two, but I never had a conversation about how to give the message. Yeah. So for it's me. It's like, hey, you got a great message. Right. And let, me, like, let me show you how to package how that you up. you had a conversation. Yeah. I was like, oh, shit. For me, I was like, oh, I've been waiting on this. So every everything for me and Sabrina, every time the opportunity came, it got bigger and bigger. 2018 is also the year we went to, we did the dinner. Was it 2018 or 19? It was 19. But I, so 18, we do all these things and we grind. Yeah. All these things are happening. And me and Sabrina are just, we got to Charlotte. Got Charlotte teams of the year 2018. Because mm-hmm. now we're here. Mm-hmm. And people are talking about everything that we're doing. So we just keep going and we keep pushing. And while we're doing that, we're bringing in black chefs, we're bringing in black cooks. And we're having a conversation about black food and black culture in a way that has never been on this stage in Charlotte before. And we're good at what we do. And that's what I like to, I like to make sure I say that too, like, I'm one of the best chefs in the city. Mm-hmm. I was a part of the collective of us who was pushing food forward from 2012. Mm-hmm. That's important for people to hear. And I think this is a great segue for the PCG story. Yeah. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, right. is Char- when, you, when you got into Charlotte, is uh-huh. that when you started like hanging with the white chefs, hanging with us, with, so like, I wasn't cooking together? I wasn't, there was no, I went from being a lead line cook mm-hmm. to opening a restaurant. There right. was no sous chef, chef that I never, I'm anxious too, bro, I'm a Leo. I'm like, yeah, bro, I'm not finna wait. I gotta get it done. I need yeah. to get this done. I have to get this done right now. So when I came to Rocky, I didn't even care about chef culture, none of that. I was trying to be the best cook I could be. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even let people call me chef yeah. because I didn't think I had done enough to earn that title. Mm-hmm. So PCG, for me, my introduction was 2013. I was in another meeting. I don't know if you were at that meeting. You probably were. And somebody said, don't worry. This is so crazy to think about. Somebody said, don't worry. There's a real one of these happening. And I was like, huh? Where? With who? And they started spitting out the names. And these are all people who I knew of. And I was like, oh, word? Bet. 
So I go to a meeting at Lucas, right? Mm-hmm. It's Lucas there, Paul Verica's there, Chris Coleman's there, Mark J. Cena, you, so many other chefs. And I'm like, yeah, like I, right, yeah, this is where I need to be. Yeah, and my my specific goal for being there was to meet people and meet farmers and just figure out, you know, well, you've how been, to be you'd part been of out in Rock Hill, like you've been right. out in Rock Hill, kind of like in in even right. like you, you said it earlier. You said like you know you were kind of isolated out for there, sure doing your own thing, and, and I, so now I you were you're, you're, that that was what was happening. But yeah. I just was literally to your point. Yeah, you don't never come to Rock Hill. Right. You literally came to Rock Hill to come meet at our spot because you had heard about us. Yep. So I didn't know that that worked the other way. Mm-hmm. So when I got to Charlotte and I got in PCG and I saw what Chris was doing, Chris Reed, the mm-hmm. executive director, when I saw that, I was like, this is the thing I need to be a part of. Yeah. Before thinking about my position as a black chef or how valuable I was or how important I was, I was like, I just need to be a part of the group, the collective. Mm-hmm. This is it. Yeah. And doing dinners together yeah. and doing stuff on the farm and working with farmers, I was like, yo. I should have did this. And the crazy part about it was it wasn't like it was that the the thought of it started in 2012. So I'm down there in Rock Hill doing my thing, working with farmers, just doing what I think I'm supposed to be doing, uh, going to farmers markets. I never was coming to Charlotte. So when our PCG happened, I was like, oh, they do that too. Mm-hmm. Duh. This is where the culture came from. This is how it started. So being a part of that group, being a part of that collective helped me establish, I think, my position on my spot mm-hmm. as one of the up and coming chefs. In yeah. And I was going to, I was going to say that, like, as you were saying that I was thinking, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's part of why your voice is so important right. now right, 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 right. because you have, because you put in the time right. with the roots, right. like when the collective voice for chefs at Charlotte was, right. yo, we got to localize this. We have right. to, right. like, we have, we have an obligation to each other. Yep. To yep. do the best we can right. to use the local food to bring right. that to light, right. and you are part of that movement for sure. The collaboration is what made us the food city we've become, mm-hmm. and PCG is the reason why that collaboration ever exists. This it don't happen like that in no other city. Yeah, I agree no other city. I agree with that. None of them. Yeah. So I mean, like that's that's why that was super important to be able to be a part of that and to be one of the voices and to hear what the OG said. Like, hey, Bruce. What you think about this? I don't know. That's your one of your yeah, your, yeah. your your mentor. Yeah. So like being able to hear his voice and hear his voice through your voice mm-hmm. and just talking about food and listening and having a conversation. Man, all right, okay. I can see where I can pull a little bit from both of them mm-hmm. and having conversations with y'all about the culture and the industry and how I feel and my presence and then how y'all and like so yeah, man, I never I never thought about that. And being able to build and work together to carry, I think, a community that, for real, for real, I don't even gonna say no city has it like that. But when I go to other cities, Atlanta, Charleston, Asheville, maybe, Raleigh, maybe. But like, people talk to me, like, hey, man, y'all work together like that? It's like, yeah, man, like, it's always been, for everybody in the PCG, it was always collaborative competition. Mm-hmm. Every time I see you do a dish, I wanna do a dish better than you, yeah. period. Mm-hmm. But also, <laughs> If I need field peas, I'm not not going to – if you need some, I'm not not going to get that to you if I can. I want you to win. Yeah. And that's the thing I think that Charlotte has been built on. And yeah. That's because of PCG too. I totally agree with that. I've been opening restaurants in other markets, right? right? So that's, right. that's kind of where I'm at in my thing, exploring those markets. Right. And I have not found another – I mean, we there was a lot of camaraderie in New York, sure, but it was sure. separate between like the line cooks had right. their own little clique right, right. from all the different restaurants right, that they just right. shit talk the chefs, right, 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 and right. then the chefs, you know, were in their own little mm-hmm. exclusive, you know, world. So there was like a weird camaraderie there, but nothing like the camaraderie that is in Charlotte, where 
I mean, it's literally everybody's on speed dial and has each other's numbers. Texting. And can like, yeah, hey, what's it's, going on? It's not a mistake. Yeah, and that's and that's pretty amazing. Right. That's an amazing community to be a part of. So you got a ton going on right now. Yeah. With the, the spaces that you're opening up. Let's right, talk a little right. bit about that. And I want to talk about kind of what the future looks like. Mm-hmm. I think you alluded to the fact that you're not going to be grinding on the line the, uh, way, the, the way you have been. And I'm going to tell you, that's <laughs> not because I don't want to. Yeah. I love that shit. Yeah. Like I, love, like, I love being next to people who want it as bad as I want it in that way. So you sweating and you might get burnt and it's 12, 15, 20 tickets. And you're just like, there's nothing that we could do. Just got to do the first three. <laughs> yeah. And the first three continues to happen from 5.30 to 10.30. And then you like, are we all in? Like, is, is it done? Yeah. Oh, it's done. It's, <laughs> it's a literal war. Like, yeah. we really yeah. feel like we find one. I don't think people understand that yeah. and what that means to kitchen culture and how. I'm addicted to that, So too. many things. And I, but what I realized is if I don't let that go, one, I'm not bridging the gap. Two, I'm not bringing up more chefs. I'm bringing up more cooks. Mm-hmm. And three, I can't open more concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the thing with Uptown Yoke to start with as far as new concepts is, we were in the Seven Street Market, and the Seven Street Market was going great for us. Then the pandemic happened. And the pandemic showed, it kind of exposed, the emperor has no clothes. Mm-hmm. For us, it kind of showed us, man, we really need to be able to do coffee. We really need to be able to do cocktails and mimosas. We really need to be able to do all the things that a restaurant needs to be able to do to survive, and we can't do that in this market. We we got through 2020 by working with Hill Charlotte and by working with different organizations who were getting funds for food, and we were literally going to deliver breakfast in neighborhoods, lunch in neighborhoods, lunch at hospitals. We were doing all these things. And when we opened back up, it was cool, but it wasn't what it was in 2019. Right. It wasn't the direction we were going. We had finally got to a place to where we got the market, and we understood what we needed to do to be successful in the market. But once the pandemic happened, it was like, man, we got to do something else. And we knew we wanted to, we knew we wanted to open Uptown Yoke in an area that was going to be a lot of people, a lot of foot traffic, and an emerging area. And we just found a perfect spot in South End. We're opening um, an advantage building. And it's 3,200 square feet. We're going to have 100 seats, and we're going to have a full bar and full coffee program. And um, Justin, you know Justin well. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin Hazelton is our mixologist, and – to his credit, us pushing each other and saying, man, what can you really do with coffee and cocktails and breakfast and AM? And, like, we got a lot of fun stuff we're going to do from a beverage standpoint there that I don't think has really been explored because, like like you were saying earlier, people don't really care about AM. It's mm-hmm. like, yo, I'm doing it because it's cheap and I need to make it cheap and I need to have – that's where you put the cooks who are not thinking about execution and excellence. You're just like, all right. You want to work? I'm going to give you some hours. I know you're going to do your 40 and go home. You put them on breakfast because what's the worst you're going to do? Burn yeah. bacon? Yeah. You know, you ain't going to burn a filet. Yeah. You're not over-rendering pieces of foie over and over and over yeah. and over. Costing us all this. <laughs> yeah. It's not uh, the best piece of fish I got. It's shrimp. Like, yeah. you good. You got it. If you messed that up, cool. And I don't want you to mess that up. And I think that's the thing that we did differently. It's like, yo. You got to care as much about this as you cared about those steaks and yep. everything else. Everybody got to be on board. So to be able to have a space to where this is the first time we've done it in Charlotte in this way at the space that we're in now. Now we get to really push. And I'm super excited about bringing back like the classics. Yeah. But I'm also super excited about trying to think about what we can do and how we can look at dining from an AM standpoint the same way we look at P&I. 
When when is that gonna happen? We're looking at July, end of July. Okay. Construction started two or three weeks ago. It, you know, lead times on stuff is crazy. It's whack. We're right thinking now, it's gonna take four months to get everything. In. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, yeah. four or five months is the goal of the timeline. You know, we got a great crew working with working with Redline on the design and Fairwood on the build out. So we're feeling good about the process cool. and the progress over there. I know that there's gonna be a lot. I mean, I think. And tell, tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you had a cult following right. for for the yoke, right? Yeah, like definitely in Rocky. Like definitely like, in Rocky. Yeah. Did you have that here in Charlotte? When or not so much? I don't think people had properly acclimated to the chain, mm -hmm. and I think it took a year to recreate and start to begin to create that following again, and then the pandemic. Yeah, and then it just wiped all that right. So like work from out. January to January, we were yeah. trying to figure it out. And then like right in February, staff and while we figured everything out, I was like, bet, we got it. Yeah. And then boom, boom, hit the fan, and it dropped off. What, what, are you, what are you looking at for hours for that? Are you going to um, do seven days? Are you going to do six days? Six to days. start, close Tuesday and Wednesday. I'm not sure which day. Okay. Eight to three, I think is what we're going to do. Maybe eight to four. Me and Sabrina really got to think about how valuable, you know, three to five is dead time in the restaurant world, mm -hmm. right? We got to figure out how valuable that time is for us as a brunch restaurant and whether we can create that midday idea. Like, who is that for? Is mm -hmm. that for, is the late breakfast for cooks going into work? Is the late breakfast for people leaving the office? Like, who is that for? So once we kind of figure out that market segmentation that three to five makes sense for and how much it's going to cost us to do we'll decide how long we still but right now it's eight to three okay six days a week. cool and it's a, you're gonna do the same brunch menu yeah like day. we got 80 percent of that will be classics and then 20 percent of that will be seasonal working with local farmers inspiration what's new what uh we haven't tried and the same thing with the beverage menu like we'll have class like there'll be a bloody mary yeah and we'll have a bloody mary mix and we want to get to a place to where we can work with a farm and say, grow, this is how much Bloody Mary mix we need. This is how many pounds of tomatoes we're going to need. And we're just going to can a shit ton of Bloody Mary mix and just have it ready to go for the year. That's yep. the that's the, the goal with that. But then, like, you know, some, we're going to wake up and we're going to say, yo, man, somebody has pawpaws. We're doing something with pawpaws for as long as we got pawpaws. And yep. then when they're done, they're done. Same thing with squash and looking at root vegetables and stuff. So we're just going to do that. But that's going to be 20 cents because what I know with breakfast is, People love chicken and waffles. Mm -hmm. People don't want you to do 98 different versions of chicken and waffles. They want a really good waffle and a really good piece yeah, of chicken. And that's it. Stop fucking around. Yeah. You don't need a whole section for it. Do the <laughs> yeah. chicken and yeah. do the waffles. Make the chicken good. Make the waffle good. And whatever yeah. syrup you do, that's the syrup you need to do. Yeah. And we're going to do that. People like our pancakes. We're going to do that. You just brought up the mojo hash earlier. Yep. People like it. We're going to do it. Yep. Now, there'll be different things that we play around with, but we're going to bring back the classics and some, some of the stuff we had in Rock Hill. And If you come down, you bring your friends down from New York one month, and you come down and bring some friends back from Florida another month, you'll be able to get some of those staples. And you'll yeah. also be able to get some seasonal stuff. So I think it's going to be a real dope blend. Cool. That. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Now now, now that I'm like, I've been sober for years, yeah. like I actually get up early. Congratulations. Thank you. That's yeah. major. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. But like I'm up early. So by the time, you know, 9 p.m. start or mm -hmm. 9 a.m. starts i've already finished half of my to-do list yeah, yeah so like i'm all about that morning let's get in my let's meal get, in yeah get my get meal in the corner in. yeah get seven get you some coffee yes get you sir food, yes, bang sir. some stuff out and that's and, and man like as we get older I, I ain't gonna speak for everybody but as i get older i more and more want to get up in the morning and, and work out and meditate yeah. and do all these things that are important to my day and once i and if i'm waking up at nine 
I'm like, man, the sun's been out for two, three hours. Like, I ain't really been getting at it. I just automatically feel like, man, 3 o'clock hit, the day's over. Yep. But if I get up at 7, wake up, do my thing, grind, go work out. By the time 9 o'clock hit to your point, man, I yeah. got half of my list done yeah. at 9. So I doing breakfast is going to get me back in that mode of getting up in the morning, cranking it out, locking in. I think, you know, I think for me it was the whole, you reach a point, in your career, especially in the hospitality business, because right. it is a grind and it'll chew you up. Right. You, know, you, you mentioned kind of the ups and downs and stuff where you need to have some personal time. Yep. Like there ha you have to look out for yourself yep. eventually yep. because what we do so much is for other people. Right. Like we're uh, hospitality is taking care of others, right. not yourself. Right, right, right. And for me, it was like, th that's the time that I can do that. Right. right. Like I can get up at six or seven and I've got a couple hours to do whatever I want to do. Right. I can thumb through cookbooks right. or go, you yep. know, whatever to throw the ball for my dog, whatever it Fuck is up on the phone. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's your time. Right. right. And, it, and it sets you up where you're not chasing your tail right. the rest of the day. Right. Like I got all this shit to do. Right. right. Like we all have these lists. That's a good thing, man. And I think the kid's going to help with that too. Um, that, that baby's going to get you up and ready to roll. Um, <laughs> cause so, they don't wait for nobody. Um, you know, they say your, your, your life, <laughs> Goals in seven year, like so cycles or zero to seven, seven to 14, 14 to 21, 21 to 28. I'm in that 35 to 42 cycle, and I remember being 30 and thinking, Oh, we when I turn 40, oh, I'm on, oh, I'm gonna be so nice with just whatever. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be with it because it's like me and Sabrina's relationship is better than it was when we first started because we didn't even know each other. We got married in 2010, and we signed a lease to open a restaurant in February 2012. We hadn't even got to know each other yet. We just wow. got to a point to where we had really stopped arguing all the time, <laughs> and then we did the thing that's going to make us argue the most. You front of the house, I'm back of the house. That was the craziest thing ever. But like now I'm in this space to where I can be the older one. I can be the OG. I can be the mentor. I can be uh, – well, somebody mm -hmm. called me up the other day. I was like, bro, how old are you? He was like 20. I was like, oh, damn. You're okay. right. Like, yeah. is it? All right. <laughs> I am hunting you. My bad. But I'm kind of, I'm really excited about being able to embrace that. And to be having a kid at this stage is kind of perfect because I'm really about to embrace being a mentor, being a, a parent, someone who's giving wisdom, and still someone who reaches out to my mentors, Ty Richards, Dwayne Nutter, Joe Randall, like one of our triple OGs, right, Black Chefs. And I was like, Am I doing good? Am I okay? Am I like, and I, I really care what they think. And they like, they talk to me like I'm dumb. Like, yeah, do you know what you're doing? Like I had somebody reach out to me and say, man, I'm proud of you what you're doing in the South. And I was like, yo, I'm from the South. So for me, what I think about the South is not what everybody else think about the South because I'm from here. Mm -hmm. He was like, no, you're doing what you're doing in the South. And I'm like, huh, I guess you he's from New York. Been in New York or Philly his whole life, 70. He was like, nah, bro, you're in the South. Don't, you're not in Philly. You're not in Detroit. You're not in Chicago. You're not in L.A. You're not in these places that have always been progressive and always had mm -hmm. these so many people that some of the people have to be forward-thinking and progressive. Bro, you're in the South. You belong to Mason-Dixon line. So I'm like, oh, shit, I guess I am doing pretty good. Yeah. So, like, that's having those mentors both ways is super dope. Yeah. Sounds like you're pretty comfortable with where you're at, ready to do whatever comes next, you know? Yeah, for sure. Whatever it is. What's that 
look like for you? What's, um, what's next? Like, so obviously Yoke is like in yeah. the, on the burner right now. That's right. coming for real sure. quick. Um, the four concepts in Camp North End. Yep. So we have a great partnership with Camp North End. Um, Camp North End was the first, we talked about investing early. They were the first people to put their money where their mouth was before I was Chef Greg, right? Mm -hmm. I was just Greg at Uptown Yoke at the mm -hmm. time. Well, and we had a really good reputation and we had a nom or whatever and they got the food and they were really happy. They was like, oh, this food is great. But I hadn't become who I am now. And they bet on us and they bet big and they won big. Like we made Camp North End look good and Camp North End. And Leah Louise. Right, Leah Louise, yeah. yeah. So Camp North End giving us that space in the space that we felt like was where we needed to be too. Like, North End is a historically African-American neighborhood mm -hmm. that's part of having a conversation about gentrification, having a conversation about how black people need to show up for developers and developers need to put money into us. And like, yo, look, give me some money and let me do my thing and watch what I do. Mm -hmm. So they was like, okay, cause you don't, it's an unknown quantity. Mm -hmm. And now we, it was like, oh, now it's like, oh, let's do this again. And that's a credit to Adco and Camp North End believing in us and giving us the space to do what we need to do. Uh, and we bring back these accolades for Charlotte, for Camp North End, for the North End community. And we was like, yo, we want to do four. And they was like, all right. Like, we we, we had, a, I don't know what it was on podcast, maybe Charlotte Business Journal. I said, like, like I just told you, ain't nobody beating on my door to give me a million dollars after all the stuff we've done. Ain't nobody like, man, we want to open up all these restaurants with you, right? We got some investors, but they're smaller investors, the people who really have to go get money to give us money. They ain't got two million in the bank that they could throw me 500,000. But anyway, so we made this podcast and they reached out and it was like, so what do you want to do? And I shot down a list of, I got 10 concepts I want to do. And they was like, all right, what would it take to do those for? And I said, it would take this. They said, okay, cool, made it happen. We got a 6,000 square foot space, 2,000 square foot is gonna be our seafood restaurant, 1,500 is gonna be our speakeasy, and the rest of it is gonna be split into two QSR concepts, one being a chicken shack, a chicken shack is off the uh, – so everybody's menu changed when pandemic happened, right? Mm -hmm. We went from fine southern food to chicken sandwiches. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm doing what they expect me to do. Right. But, again, like we're working you, eggs, right? Yep. We were selling like 500 chicken sandwiches a week. And I was like, damn. Well, at that point you had to, though, too. Right. Because well, you're I like – You're not thinking yeah, about well, – yeah. I'm not thinking about that. Like, I'm thinking, man, I'm about, I'm about to get it. I'm about to show – out is in my mind. I'm like, this is a, we got a stage. Me, Justin, and Sabrina had a conversation. And I said, yo, if me, you, if the three of us, if Sabrina, you set up the scene, uh, the space, the con the music, Justin, you make the cocktails, and I make the food, we about to have the best restaurant Charlotte has seen. We about to come do something that we ain't ever seen before. We about to do like, cause it never happened, and it worked. It worked out. Like, and we created. I think we brought a lot of love to Charlotte. We brought a lot of energy to Charlotte. And we created one of the best restaurants in the city. That was what Leah Luis was and Camp North End was a partner in that. So now thinking about this, the question was, what else do we need to do? Mm -hmm. So I was like, man, I want to do a seafood restaurant in a way that is, we're always thinking about our culture, our food ways, our history, our heritage, but also we're thinking about creating spaces where we really just dig into what we're doing. We want to do great food. I ain't done that with seafood. And also, I want to partner with another black chef and say, all right, you don't have to do Southern food or soul food. Get it in. Like, let's let's do this together. Let's get it in this boogie. Let's create the best restaurant we can create. And seafood is the core. 
all the things important to culture and everything else. Yeah, so let's so let's talk about that concept a little bit. Yeah. So so it's are you do you want to talk about the concept? No, for sure. Okay. So it's passage seafood. Okay. Um passages, the passage of time, the passage from uh young to old, old to young. Um we, we, we were very conscious and Sabrina and I thought about the middle passage, um the middle passage being um the slave roots to the Americas, right? And not to bastardize that at all, but thinking about I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. Mm -hmm. um, so all the negative, we've learned to try to look at things that are definitely bad and negative and try to figure out how we can use those negative things to empower ourselves culturally. Mm -hmm. Even moving back to the South was that. Like I went to Arizona, I'm leaving the South. They're not going to make me cook soul food or Southern food. And I went out there. And I saw Mexican chefs cooking Mexican food, and I was like, that's it. I'm missing that. I'm missing home. I'm missing me looking at my roots and my heritage and cooking from there. So passage is going to be that, but it's going to be, you know, like uh, Lee and Luis, we consider it a uh, casual fine diner, right? You ain't got to come in there in a jacket, but the food is going to be great. The service is going to be great. The cocktails are great. The wine list is great. We're going to do the same thing at passage. And then that's next to the speakeasy, which is the abyss. Sabrina thought all these names, by the way. I'm not. I'm creative. <laughs> but she has, again, I'm telling you, she's connected to that thing <laughs> that we can't quite touch or feel. Anyway, she was like, all right, but we're going to do passage seafood, and we're going to need to do the abyss. Like, passage is going to be the above ground, the 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 beach, dusky kind of uh, cloud setting, and then the abyss is going to be the bottom, dark, rich. And I was like... Man, you a bad woman, man. I want to never like, yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, and we just gonna like, I think with Lee and Louise, Justin was constricted a little bit to trying to pair with a Southern menu. Mm -hmm. With the abyss, we just gonna let them do his thing. Yeah, it's like it's cocktail. It's a cocktail driven. Destroy, yeah. Like go yeah, in and make it's like make a list and try to be the best. Yeah. Make the best cocktails you can make. Go. We're gonna go. To, we're gonna try. We're gonna go to Nashville. We're gonna go to New York. We're gonna go to Chicago. We're gonna go have cocktails. Mm -hmm. Sabrina pregnant right now, so we got to figure out what's the sweet spot. Probably like in August. We're gonna go August September. We're gonna go travel in. We're gonna like make the best cocktail program you can possibly make. No holes barred. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we partnered with Cam North End, and we're at a place to where we can try to figure out some things financially to not. What kind of glass do you need for this? What ice do you need? What? So we just gonna go dig. And then with the QSR contest, the donut shop, we're just fortunate that our last pastry chef is extremely passionate about donuts. Jasmine making. She just is she just loves it. Like, and the thing is, I like people who are critical of themselves in a way that's gonna make them improve. Mm -hmm. She's always talking about how to improve. And I'm like, yo, these are great. And she's like, nah, I'm missing something. And she'll yeah. go and get in the lab and she'll, ah, they okay. And then she'll just keep labbing up. And then she'll, like, get to a page like, that's it. The Girl Scout cookie donut set. And I said, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know how this is. When you work with people and they're passionate and they find the thing, yeah. and you see it click for them and you're, yeah. like, super excited. She uh, posted the thing. And I, I, I text her, fuck this Instagram. I'm like, y'all got to text me. Like, yo, <laughs> is this you? Like, is this all y'all thought she was? Like, yeah. And I was like, yo, y'all, you in your bag right now. <laughs> and for us, me and Sabrina, seeing that and being able, again, black woman, right? Being able to put people in position to where she's going to have her first donut shop. And we just, for us, that's partnership. It's mm -hmm. like, that's our teammate. It's like, yo, you do your thing. And if I can help you do that because I have a name or a reputation and we have a brand awareness that people want to be a part of, do your thing. Mm -hmm. and like I said, the chicken sack is just, yo, it's a chicken sandwich. 
It's like the chicken people sandwich sold so much. They want it. And we took it away, and people was like, yo, why y'all take it away? <laughs> yeah. Like, we really had why some, you like, punishing us for and some reviews. Like, people was like, I've seen so much about this chicken sandwich, and it wasn't here when I came. It was like, y'all, it's a fucking chicken sandwich, but yeah. not for them. So we, 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 we kind of felt like instead of just making it a side piece, we're going to look at Give chicken and chicken salad, chicken sandwich, chicken fat. We're going to try to figure out ways to use every single product that the chicken produces. And I don't know how deep we're getting. Like, I mean, we're thinking about doing chicken feet uh, stew, like just like mm-hmm. every piece of the chicken that we can use and really pay homage to the chicken. You know, just figure out different ways we can dig in. Chicken skins, just like everything. So. That could end up being a deep hole to fall down and right so, there. So <laughs> the, the hope of that, right, is is chicken. Yeah. I got to be able to find somebody to be able to take this to the next level. Like, I'm that for me, I'm thinking, like, yeah. somebody from, you know, a QSR, Panera Bread, Chick-fil-A, or whatever, like, here's what we want to do. Yep. I ain't got to cook none of this. Here's the recipe for the chicken. No, this is like, yeah, I'm going to give you 20 recipes. You just got to come up with two every three months. Go get it and do your thing and grow. This could be in uh, an airport. This could be in a stadium. This mm-hmm. could be in all these places. Right. We scalable. Can, you can put it. It's super scalable. Yeah, you can put it wherever. You can put it wherever. Yeah. Hands off of it. Like yep. it's chicken. It's chicken century. Mm-hmm. If it, we, if somebody in fucking China say, oh, man, we got this food. How we opening it? We want a chicken concept. We want yours. Bet. Put it in. There you go. Put it in. I don't know any. I don't know the first thing about none of that. But there's somebody who does. (laughs) And we can make it happen. And I ain't got a. That's not a Chef Greg thing. That's not a me and Sabrina thing. It's chicken. So it's a concept that's going to set us up for whatever. So, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what we want to do. Like, everything we do from here on out, we're going to be thinking about partnering with somebody who's talented at a thing, who wants to do a thing, who wants to be great at a thing. Or we're gonna do concepts that are really simple, but 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 are put together with care. Or we're gonna find people who are really great at something to partner with. Are you gonna focus mostly on black business owners, black oh, chefs? Sure. That's that's, the, that's your that's your mission. That's the the goal is. I want to look up, and I don't want people to have any more conversation about what kind of food black chefs cook here in Charlotte mm-hmm. because it's still a thing. Also, what yeah. kind of food you cook like? And I don't trip about it now. People still call it soul food, modern soul food, contemporary soul food. It's like, why y'all call it soul food? If I was white chef, y'all wouldn't say it. Yeah. Nobody would say, oh, he's cooking soul food. Yeah. How much what? of that do you think is people looking for a trendy, like, a trendy way to identify the, the food? I think it's... Like, they're trying to find something that instead of saying whatever, however some food writer's written about... Right, 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 right. That forever. They're like, um, the new, like, kitschy I, tag for it, you know? I think... <laughs> I think it's some of that, right? Yeah. I don't want to say it's none of that. Right. And I'll say it's 50-50. I think half of it is, because a, a lot of black chefs are calling their food modern soul food. Like, so yeah. some of my best friends, uh, Tanya and uh, Tanya David Thomas in Baltimore, call their food modern soul food. So it's that's not what I want to call my food. So I think it's trying to figure out a way to call something a thing. But I think it's also an easy way to continue the separation mm-hmm. of cuisines and cultures. It's like, oh, man, it's black and soul. Yeah. It makes sense. It's, it's, it's like when people talk about music, a lot of R&B artists talk about how they write, they like to put hip-hop in the same thing with R&B. But those are two different genres, and they come from two different places, and the mode is two different things. It's not that the interpolations and different musical notes aren't similar, but it's, you know, you got rock, 
soft rock, hard rock, metal. You got all kinds of differentiations of rock. It is the fucking same thing on different chords and different notes yeah, with different, different tempos, RPMs, right. different whatever. But it's it's comes from the same place. Right. But there's no need to dial it down and wall it into one pot. Mm-hmm. But for us, it is because people often don't want to take the time to really explore and discover what's going on and what's happening. And that's just lazy writing. Yeah. A lot of writers do. A lot of writers care. But again, that comes from lack of representation. Like a black writer from Charleston ain't going to call my fool low country whether I do shrimp and or not. They're not right. going to say that because they come from Gullah Geechee culture and they know mm-hmm. what it is. So they're going to say what it is and they're going to ask me why. Because this ain't like this, but it's like this. It's, it has notes to this and it has notes to that. People, they care, but that requires representation and more black voices in writing and more black voices in media. So I think it's it's a, it's a similar fight. And then you start to hear the conversation change and people talk about things more. I mean, like I tell, so the next seven-year phase, like, so the next, so 42 is the phase. So from now to 42, family, all those things, right? We're going to continue trying to find partners and spaces and ways to open concepts, whether it's buy buildings or, or do management contracts. or just do. We're going to do everything we can to kind of continue to expand our brand and make sure we uplift our community and put our community in places where you have to see us, you have to work with us, you have to build with us. And while we're on stage, we keep building a bigger stage. We're not trying to get on stage and push everybody out stage. We just keep building a bigger stage and keep bringing our people on stage. Mm-hmm. That's the... Uh, we go keep doing that, right? The next phase of my life is teaching. I really want to see how much Sabrina and I can do with a 15-year-old kid in high school who is who sees a celebrity chef on TV or whatever, and he wants to be that, or she mm-hmm. wants to be that. What can we, how much info and gang can we give them before they get to culinary school? Mm-hmm. So then when they walk into culinary school, they understand professionalism they understand heritage they understand what farm to table really means they understand all these things that you don't really learn until you get into a restaurant so now when they get to culinary school they're already on Komi chef level in culinary school so mm-hmm. now culinary school is about learning about the basics and trying to figure out how to do things so when they go to a restaurant they know all the basics mm-hmm. all the basics they know all the sauce making they know they understand all these things but they also know who they are so they now walking in trying to figure out how can I be like this chef and this chef ain't nothing like me. They know who they are. So mm-hmm. you could be in the kitchen and cook French food. You could be in the kitchen and cook Italian food. You just know how to cook. So you know how to prepare these things. So you already start off at a place to where you walk in the door, one of the best cooks in the kitchen. So now it's really just about how long you want to be at a place to learn the thing. Like you put your year, two years, three years in because it's about you and because you're trying to learn Italian food, or you're trying to learn French, or you're trying to learn whatever. It's not about trying to play the politics and try to play the game to get to a place. Because if you do what you need to do and you work through this program from 15 to 25, 10 years in the game, I got a spot for you. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, we got 40 restaurants. And they're maybe not leading Louisa passages, but we got 15 chicken shacks. So we got three or four donut shops and we got a bakery and we got a coffee shop and we got a distillery and a winery. And we keep just building these things to where we don't have to ask to be a part of it, mm-hmm. which gets us to the festival. The festival was because we've been to Charleston, we've been to Atlanta, we've been to all these festivals, we've been to Euphoria. And black chefs are there, but not nearly in the demographic alignment of the place. Mm-hmm. 10 chefs in Atlanta? What? Look at. 
Yeah. Look at the festivals now, <laughs> this year yeah. after we did our festival. Look at them. Yeah. It was it was a uh, it, the representation is way better because you can't fake it now. Now you can't say, well, I don't know mm-hmm. where the black shells are. We found sixty. <laughs> you mean to tell me with all the resources, information you got, you can't find ten more? Come on now, stop lying. Sabrina wants to do the festival because. This is Bay Haven. Yeah, Bay Haven Food and yeah, Wine Festival. Yeah. You got to say it. It's happening again October 19th to the 23rd okay. of this year. Got it. Um, we're going to announce ticket sales and everything, but it's happening again. We want people to be ready. Do you guys have a website for that? Yeah, yeah. It's, okay, uh, I'm going to put a link in the show yeah. notes for this so people yeah. can go like check it out. Uh, BayhavenFoodandWine.com. But uh, so Sabrina wanted to do the festival. So, and we both are like this. And I think I, Sabrina's not really a planner. But because I'm kind of super, we got to do these things to get to this place. She was like, all right, if you notice, one year we had soul food sessions and there was 12 chefs and we did like tasting style. The next year we had soul food sessions, we had like seven chefs outside under tents and we did an event. And we just kept doing that to kind of see what, she was like, I want to see what small festival style looks like. The last time we did that, we did outside tents and we also had a dinner going on in Leon Louise and tents outside of Leon Louise. So we were always building to this idea of festival focusing on black culinary and hospitality professionals. And when she decided, I was like, you sure? She was like, yeah, I'm sure. Like, stop asking me. I was like, babe, I love you. Whatever you need me to do, I'm going to do. But are you sure you want to plan like this? She was like, yeah. She told Rachel Sutherland on our PR. Rachel was like, when? And she was like, June. She was like, no way. There's no way we can do this in six months. It's got to be a year. And we had this conversation in October. So October just... It made sense. Yeah. And this is Sabrina's baby, man. She put in all the work. She has the board meetings. She put the team together. I just, my job is to find the chefs, find the food, and make sure they have what they need. And it's super dope because I think the way me and Sabrina, we say what we mean. We don't say anything behind closed doors. We're afraid to get out in the public. We we try to keep an honest tone sometimes for people. I just, again, I say it all the time. Like, Tom Brady goes, he throws his helmet, he's passionate, he's driven. Lamar Jackson do it. Oh, my God, he's a troublemaker. He's oh, he's always oh, he's a whiner. Tom <laughs> Brady, I, that's my guy. I think he's yeah. the best quarterback ever, the best player ever. Yeah. He do the same thing other black quarterbacks do, and we don't have them same connotations when we go with that. A lot of times people can look at us and say, oh, man, they're brash. They're arrogant. No, we're not. We just do, we're just passionate and we love it, and we're not going to not say things that need to be said because if we don't say them, everybody else – won't say them and people won't hear it because oh man I work for I can't say it because I work for this company I can't say it because I it's too many it's too many uh, holes you gotta hoops you gotta jump through we can say how we feel and call it a day because we've become that voice because we've become the ones who say how things are how we feel about them we you know doing that festival was that like there's a lot of people who could have put together a festival a black chef festival mm-hmm. it made sense for us to do it yeah because we built enough relationships to where I can say hey uh. Hey, Rayford, Matt Rayford, come holler at me. All right, bet. Ty Richards, come holler at me. All right, bet. I'm bringing the crew. Uh, Keith Rose, come holler at me. Rick Moore, come holler at me. Chris Scott, come holler at me. I can holler. We can call people because we built these relationships with people over the 10 years we've been in the industry, and they'll say, all right, bet. And say, so what you need? I got you. And now there can be no conversation about a lack of diversity because if you don't have diversity in the thing that you're doing, you're literally doing it on purpose because you're not trying and it's not important. Look at the festivals this year and the talent that's represented this year versus in 18 and 19. Mm-hmm. You can say, oh, it's because, nah, it's because there's an alternative. Yeah. Now you know that there's a place the black chefs can go to be represented. And it's not a side note, it's not a mistake, it's the whole conversation. Do you hope that? Mm-hmm. 
through these efforts mm -hmm. that you guys have been pushing forward on and the Bay Haven Food Festival mm -hmm. and just the, I mean, the representation for black chefs and black owners and right. black hospitalitarians right. in the industry, that it will spill over and become better represented overall. In all industries? Yes. Or, or just in, in hospitality, in, in like uh, food and beverage uh, across, across the country. Hospitality, I hope so, definitely. Sabrina and I have always been very honest and upfront about how we feel and how we think. Our goal is to use our stage to bring other talented people on stage with us, and they can do what they want to do with that. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to take away the excuse of um, lack of visibility. Yeah, they're not being the seen or whatever. Our goal is to take away the... Sabrina and I represent some of the best of the best in the city, in the state, in the South. You can pick us to do something collaborative because we are also some of the best. When you start to look at other chefs who might not have as much notoriety, you got to be doing it because you want to be diverse. Mm -hmm. You can't be doing it because you want to rock with us. You got to be thinking about diversity. And you see that more often you see that more often now because you see a lot you see more black chefs being represented in dinners in spaces in cocktail and we still got a long way to go we still got a long fight to fight but you know we're gonna keep doing it because mm -hmm. if it's one next year and two in the year after that and four the year after that and eight the year after that now it might take 50 years to get it to where nobody's questioning and it's never gonna happen we're never gonna get to a place to where nobody's questioning you because of your race it's never gonna happen it can't happen in america america was built for white people to win and everybody else to lose if it meant white people's winning it's just what it is right <laughs> um because that's a whole nother podcast sure, and, yeah, we're gonna have and to again i'm one. not yeah. an anthropologist <laughs> yeah. or historian yeah. there are people who do this for a living who do this who understand it yeah. but i'm saying that to say the only way that don't happen is if we destroy America. And that ain't going to happen. So yeah. it's cool, whatever. Yeah, That's yeah. too, I ain't getting into it. Yeah. But our goal is for people not to say, hey, are you doing black this? Are you doing black wines as a sommelier? Are you doing, as a winemaker, are you cooking sweeter? Are you making sweeter wines? Because that's what black people like. Now I'm making the best wine I can make. I'm cooking the best food I can cook. I like Asian food. I've been. I lived in Laos for six months. I love Laotian food, so I'm gonna cook that through my heritage. Like our goal is to see that, and you know, our mission statement for Bay Haven Restaurant Group is building or economic empowerment and community building through the hospitality industry. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. I want to teach. Yep. I really want to teach. But I mean, me being me, I want my own culinary school. Mm -hmm. I want it. Is I, that something you really want to do? You want to open sure. a culinary school? And, and 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 I don't want Johnson and Wills. Yeah. What I want is a program where we know how it is. We went to culinary school. Mm -hmm. In culinary school, you learn some stuff. But boy, that first day on the job, you learn maybe as much as you learned the first year of culinary school. Yeah. I want to build a culinary school where there's time where we can just talk about education and learn, but there's also time spent doing the thing that you're going to be doing to make you improve. Mm -hmm. You can break. You can go to a butchery class and break down the pig. Mm -hmm. But you know how you get good at breaking down hogs. Breaking down halls. <laughs> That's right. I want to, we want to, for one, buy a building. We want to build a place 
where people can come in at, at 15, 16, 17, 18 as part of a curriculum and learn and grow and really become hospitality professionals because we know that one of the biggest issues with 2020 is how the hospitality industry treated its employees. Mm -hmm. We know that. We know that the pay scale is a problem. We know that, you know, sexism is a problem. We know that racism is a problem. We know that that was the thing. But now what the problem is, we lost a bunch of people. Some people are trying to improve the standards in the restaurant industry. Some people are not. Some people are losing as employers to try to make their employees better. Some people are not. But we ain't even got enough people to build forward trying to do the right thing, focusing on doing the right thing. So I'm thinking, well, we need to recreate the hospitality pool, and we need to build it in a way to where we understand that we're not trying to get people to work for cheap money anymore. And we got to start building the new leaders early so that when they get out in their 25 and their 26, they understand these things are not okay. Mm -hmm. So we have to build that culture. And the only way you build that culture is by building that culture. You can't, mm -hmm. I can't, I can't be in the restaurant now. Like when I go in and talk to the chefs now, they was like, yo man, this was going on. Such so, so said this. And I'm like, did you think about this though? I'm like, yep. Nah, I ain't even think about that. My bad. And I was like, nah, it's cool. Like, but you got to start thinking about these things. And I'm getting them at 30, 32, mm -hmm. 25, after they've been yep. in the industry and I dealt with all these traumatic things for such a long time. Mm -hmm. I'm getting them after if I can get them before, before when they first start cooking, that's part of the culture. And when they open restaurants, whether it's with me or not, that's normalized. The change is hard. For it's sure. teaching teaching a new way yeah. to somebody who doesn't have right. prejudices or preconceived notions or whatever is a point. lot easier right, right. than changing the, sure. like all that stuff. Get them I, early. I mean, are you concerned about the labor pool with your current projects that you have going on? Are you concerned that it's gonna to be uh, tough to staff up, that you're gonna get good people? Or do you feel pretty confident in your networks and stuff that you're you're in a good shape and that people are gonna I one of my one of our aside goals is to create a place where specifically black culinarians feel like if I go there, that's gonna be my best opportunity to thrive and get to the next place. That's one of the goals. One another goal is I just want to be doper than everybody. Like I just want people to be like, yo, they killing it over there. I want to come there. Another goal is in which sometimes this don't necessarily work. This is not best the best financial decision. Our pay scale is a little bit higher than the industry standard. So I I hope that all those things coupled together creates a place where people want to work for us and people want to be a part of what we are building. Black and otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. We want everybody to want to come to us. I want to talk about the pay scale thing. Yeah. Because that's something that we're very passionate about right. in our group. Like right. we started that whole tip the kitchen thing. Yep. Yep. It's working great for us. Yep. What is your approach to that? What's your pay scale? Um, what um, is, how does that affect your business? Mm -hmm. Because I believe that in order for us to, where I'm going with this is I'm, trying, I'm kind of leading you somewhere. I want right, to tell you what right. I want. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. you what I want. Is I believe that, like you said, we have to kind of redesign the hospitality business. Yep. It, it's been yep. broken forever. We, yep. were, we were a part of it. I was yep. a part of it yep. in my own restaurants, yep. and I didn't even know it yep. until it like broke, and I was like, right. oh, shit. Right, right, right. I was doing this right, like, right. and not even realizing it. Right. So I think, I think that that's true. We have to rebuild it, right? right? And it's our generation. Right. We're the restaurant owners now. Right, right. Like, it ain't 35, it ain't 45. Up. Yeah. We're the ones doing it. It's our responsibility. Yeah. Right. 
if we want to continue to grow, right. right? If we wanted to sit on our laurels and, oh, we got our restaurants, we're good, yeah. fine, do that. But if you want to grow, like you're, you're expanding, sure. we, need, we need to be responsible for doing that. Right. And I think that workforce, making hospitality a desirable career choice, yep. Yep. right? Like for me, I didn't feel like there was anything else I could do. Right. I, was natu- I was naturally talented. It was the thing. I was naturally talented at this, right. and I wasn't going to cut it right. in an office somewhere <laughs> right. or whatever. Right. 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 So I endured all that shit right. Right? and just said, hey, it's the way it is. But I think we need we have the responsibility to change that, right? For right. people to say, you know what, I want to do this because I can make a great living at it. Right. I can, you know, reach a level of success and notoriety if that's what I want, or right. financial success or whatever. Right. Maybe it's independence. Maybe right. I want I I can do my own thing and and have a life and a family and a whatever. Right. Um so your pay scale, like what, yeah. and how does that affect your business? Because as owners, it costs us more. For sure, absolutely. To have that environment, I, right. I speak to that a little um, bit. I, Sabrina and I have always played the long game, no matter what it was. To be honest, I'm old school in that I felt like pay scales, just pay scale. I felt like yo, like we paying people good. I, they they getting more than I was getting paid when I was doing such and such, right? Kind of that old man mentality. <laughs> and Sabrina was like, "Now we got to pay people more." And I was like, "For what?" She was like, "No, we need to really consider and look at how we're gonna pay people more." And one of the reasons why we we, we went to the service fee is because we understand understood very clearly that karmically speaking, if you do things that are right, that good karma is gonna come back to you. Energetically, it's the same. Mm-hmm. Industry wide, we know who's doing what. We, I, everybody's very clear what's happening at places. Whether the if somebody's saying yo, I'm paying you eighteen dollars now, and you go to that place and they end up paying you fifteen, that people are talking about that. So we again, in the name of being authentic and the name of being real, we do what we think is going to be best for our team and hope that they're going to do that in return. That don't always pan out. You know, but I think at the long run, we shoot 20 shots, we at like 60% field goal mm-hmm. percentage. That's great. That's, that's amazing, right? That's really good. That's super high. Um, so I think that's the, the outlook we think. We look at it. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we're doing so many concepts this year because we believe that we've created leaders and we've built the top level to where we can insert those people in places and they'll be the carriers of the culture. And yep. the people we hire will be hired through the lens of, we're going to pay you well. We're going to give you paid time off. We're going to give you insurance. And we're going to take you on a trip here and there from time to time. And we're going to treat you good. And we're not going to put you in situations where you're not happy doing certain things. And now all those things are important. If we don't do that, people are going to say we're not doing it and we're going to have to deal with it. So our pay scale, everybody in the restaurant makes at least $18 an hour. The reason why we picked the service fee and not like, so y'all do a tip to kitchen, Garland does something similar to that, tip something, it's like mm-hmm. a 5% service fee. And they just probably, it, it, I think it goes to the kitchen, I'm not sure. Yeah. But the reason why we uh, did service fee is because we realized that people who didn't want to support us, people who didn't want to, didn't believe in what we were doing, were just going to not come. Yeah. Great. Don't come. That way we get the people who support everything about what we do and because the food is good. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, if you tip 20% anyway, how you mad because I'm asking you to tip another third? If you don't want to tip the other third for whatever, look, I don't want people telling me what to do. Man, cool, it's not that deep. Don't come. 
Like, mm -hmm. we want people to want to be in our restaurant and want to support us and want to support us and do all those things, one, because we cook good food, and two, because we're good employees and we're good people. All those things matter, and we want people to want to be a part of what we're doing from every single level because of that. And if people are turned off by that, I mean, I don't know I don't know what to tell you. It's kind of like, um, you know, if, if people... I'm going to say what I'm going to say about black chefs in the community. I'm going to say what I would say about how I feel about Charlotte. I'm going to say what I'm going to say about how I feel about my wife. Disrespect my wife if you want to. If you, if you, if you, are, <laughs> if you feel that strongly about what you think you need to say or do or whatever with my wife and now my daughter coming, all right. If you're that cool, you're going to have to, there, there will be consequences. And there's just consequences to whatever you do, no matter what it is, no matter how it's done. There mm -hmm. will be consequences to deal with. So if people don't believe in that, I'm cool with that. So we said, yo, we're just going to set it up. We're going to establish our new culture. Our bottom line is going to change. And we're going to say, all right, cool. And my bottom line has to go from 10% to 5%. I need to figure out things to do outside of the restaurant to bring me in revenue. And then when I get to 5, 10, 20 restaurants and I'm doing, that's not, that's not what we're doing. But if I got 20 restaurants all doing a million in revenue and I'm doing 5% margins on each one, I'm straight. Right. And I can reinvest and reinvest and reinvest and I'm good and I'm taking care of and I need to do what I need to do. I can't necessarily do you know, one million and do 15% profit and be like, all right, cool, I'm, I'm good. Uh, and that's the model. Like we were okay with changing the profit margin and adding a higher labor wage and adding, uh, saying what our food cost is gonna be, what this is and trying to figure out ways to manipulate things and put things in place and do different events and bring in different cultural aspects and build our brand to where Chef Greg and Sabrina Call, you can go do a dinner in Detroit with a group of people that we pool with and they'll we get paid for that. Mm -hmm. And we take that money and we put it in our pot. And mm -hmm. we go and do different um, you know, different events like outstanding in the field and different things. So we I mean what, what we really had to do, man, and I know that's tough for a lot of people, man, we really had to take ourselves out of the equation mm -hmm. and try to figure out how to just be great employee employers. Mm -hmm. Now we got standards now. Mm -hmm. You got to come in on time. You got to care about your appearance. You got to care about being organized and you got to care about the quality of the food and you got to care about waste and we have standards and those standards are never going to go anywhere but we had to really take and I don't I've never been that person that Sabrina hasn't either we're both very giving people but we had to take what we needed out of the equation and then say if we go from an employee what the employee needs first and look at the bottom mm -hmm. it ain't the best but we good. Yeah. When I get two of them, we'll be better. When we mm -hmm. get five of them, we'll be way better. When we get ten of them, we'll be way better. So I think that's the the ethos is a little less from each pie, but mm -hmm. more pies. Yep. So it's a good model. Good on we'll you. We'll see. <laughs> we hope it's a good model. It, it feels good. I think it is. We I mean, it, see. it makes sense. Right, right, right. Um, right, right. You know, it makes sense. And you guys are doing great things. And right. I think, right, right. I mean, the media alone. Right. You know, is you guys are buzzing all over the place. For sure. So you've got For sure. you got really great things happening. Right. And sure. your product is is great. For so sure. like For sure. you know what I mean? I, I don't it's hard not to be successful when you're doing things right. For sure. You know what For I mean? Sure. Like you really sure. gotta try to right. to fuck it up or have, you know, a fucking pandemic come and wipe you the fuck right. out. And that'll do it. Well I yeah, even, that even will do to it. that point, man. Like hopefully it won't. It it, it didn't it hurt. It hurt. Yeah. It's gonna hurt. Oh yeah. 
But the thing about it for us was, I mean, that's the first time we got money for real. Like we, you know, the PPP loans and the grants, the city grants, like that's the first time we got capital investment. So for us, it was like, yo, this hurts, but we can still pay our people and mm -hmm. we, we can I'll do these different things to keep people working and we brought yeah, we brought everybody we could bring back back as soon as we could bring them back and when we couldn't we had honest conversations with them and we moved on and they've done different things and you know we still have good relationships with them so I mean yeah like living right feels good yeah <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean living right don't necessarily also get you rich always gets you rich the quickest right but like I said, I'm very comfortable with the knowledge at 42 that I can begin turning into my teaching career. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when I'm 60, I could go buy me a farm like, um, is it Adam Passard who has the farm in oh, France yeah. and does uh, the festivals? I think it's Passard, right? Uh, yeah, it's Passard. He's amazing. That's my end game. Yeah. I want to have restaurant. So we move in a song. His vegetables are nice. Too. And that's my like, thing. They are like, nice, dude. You don't have to do much to it. I'm trying to get to where I'm like, we got a farm and you got to drive an hour outside of Charlotte. You got to go down mm -hmm. the Rhine Road and you walk into this space. It's a beautiful chateau and the restaurant's beautiful. And I'm in the kitchen every day, five, four days a week. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm, I got a great crew. I got a great team and I'll get to walk to the restaurant from my house through the farm. And that's what I do. Well, let me know when you get to that. Cause right. I'm passionate about that too. Yeah. You know, I had my farm and yeah. I lost it because of COVID. Word. That's why I was going to ask you about that. That's why I closed it because, yeah. um, you know, we, we were selling the vegetables yeah. to, to the restaurants yeah. and, to afford the amount of land that we had. Right. Now, we lived on the property, too, so we had a right. big mortgage there. Right. But, you know, with all the restaurants being Just closed, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and, you know, I don't have savings, dude. Right. Like, I've got restaurants, and, like, this right. is this is what I do. Right, 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 right. I don't have, like, a chunk of, like, right, I'm not right. Scrooge McDuck over here. Yeah. 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 There ain't no pot of gold or nothing. We'll never figure that out. Well, I ain't gonna yeah. say we'll never figure that out. It takes it takes cooks a long time. Like, cause <laughs> at, at, at heart, yeah. I just want to cook. Yeah, <laughs> You exactly. know what I mean? I and and so, like, the farm for me was about, yeah. was about learning more about the food I was cooking. Yeah. Like, it was that connection yeah. to, like, and like learning a new craft or whatever. Right. But anyways, the pandemic, dude, people were buying a property. Mm. That that became like, mm. I was like, okay, babe. I told my, my fiance, I was like, we got to sell this. And right. like, it, because I don't know what's going to happen. Right. Like we're going to have to reopen these restaurants. We're going right. to have to do all this stuff. And we don't have no money. Right. What are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do? Yeah, so, yeah. so we sold it. So when you get to that farm part of things let me know because i i def i desperately want to be a part of we're already something like that we're already for one we're we we're we are working our way to move to salisbury salisbury mm -hmm. is close enough to where i'm a 35 minute drive from camp north end mm -hmm. south end is maybe five more minutes yeah i imagine that as we expand we're either gonna start to go to other cities to think about things so regardless or we're gonna still build around the Northern area. So we'll always be kind of 30 minutes away. And for us, trying to find a place, man, we could like, we gonna buy some, I don't know how many acres. I've been telling Sabrina, 100 acres is the number that makes this feels like the right thing. That's so big. But I don't wanna do anything on 100. Yeah, yeah. I wanna do something. You, you just on wanna, five. you wanna buffer. You wanna, wanna you say, wanna buffer. We got 100 acres. <laughs> yeah. You gotta drive through <laughs> yeah. 20 of the acres to get to the thing. Yeah, the place. yeah. yeah. So whatever it is, uh, and then like for me, cause that's the thing, like I can have my family, I can have mm -hmm. my farm and I can have the last restaurant I'll ever cook at. And hopefully one of our, one of our kids or so just some super talented, super creative person can kind of come take that over and, you know, continue the mission. Like I, I want, I want, I want 
So you came through Barrington's. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. And Barrington's is so dope because a lot of chefs now who own restaurants and have their own things here in Charlotte came through Barrington's. Mm -hmm. I want to I want us to have the places where when you look at the culinary scene in 10 years, whether it's Oscar Coop, Kyle, Brandon and Courtney, Shay, Jasmine, like any of the chefs who, you know, we work with or around Anthony Denning, just all the talented, you know, black chefs here, I want to be the place that they came through. Yep. I want to have those French Laundry stories to say, you remember in, 2000, in 2020 and 2021 when we had the pandemic, we was in the restaurant, like I want to be. Yeah the person who helped those stories you want that life. legacy that like right. lineage of people yes so important i and think i want to be on that farm looking at like i tell everybody listen so when y'all do my retirement dinner <laughs> and i'm 85 <laughs> i want y'all to be in a place to where y'all are telling these stories about what we're doing now so that's that's the end end, end, end goal awesome well, dude, we've been chatting for a long time. We're, we're creeping on two hours now. Jesus Christ. Right. I know. I tried to keep these in an hour, but we were rolling so good, I just let it go. Well, listen, I want an invite to that dinner, 85-year-old retirement dinner. Uh, <laughs> if I'm still kicking, I want to I wanna go to that. I told Sabrina, <laughs> I'm going to stop officially cooking at 80. <laughs> and I'll allow myself – it's crazy to say this. I'll allow myself to kick the bucket when I see my great-grandkids on the land running around the restaurant that we've built near our house. And I'll be like, all right, I'm going to just go ahead and <laughs> go in here. Yeah, Baby, go get, that, uh, go get that extra stock of ayahuasca that we've been saving up. Give me it all. Yeah. Like this, and I'm going to lay in the bed and just – I'm going to leave on a trip. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'll be done. So. I love it. Thanks for taking the time, buddy. I no problem, bro. I appreciate we're, you having We're me. doing this again. Yeah, man. All this right. is fun. Hey, we got to do another one of these? Yeah, we're going to do another one. This is nice. there's, we, I don't think we just scratched the surface. Yeah, bro. <laughs> I think there's more conversations.